There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes. Yes. It's episode 499. Who would have thought? Eh, honestly, probably did. <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. 499 episodes. I got to tell you something, Action Jackson. Uh-huh. Uh, I have to say, I'm really kind of proud of the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I, you should. Now, 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 hold on. Your voice got high-pitched like I shouldn't be. That's, that's my read. No, my... My voice goes high pitched often. Okay. Usually, see, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm like if Teddy KGB was throwing off a red herring with the Oreos. Okay, I follow you. I'll my follow tell you. is not the vocal inflection. Okay, all right. It's the sweat that starts to perspire from my brow. That's the tell. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, when I, I, with regards to the podcast, we came out of the gate, it was a guest driven podcast. Mm hmm. And then it was guests and the gambling mm. when Gangster Pete got involved. And then it became clear that maintaining the level of guests wasn't possible, mm -hmm. both with the combination of the pandemic and just we had gone through pretty much everybody locally within the realm of reality who we could talk to. I mean, we really did. And then my plan when we came over here to Hubbard Radio was to get back into it with the guests. And I just, the world of podcasting, at least in my opinion, is so saturated now, even from when we started in 2017, that I don't know that we could do what we did in 2017, in 2018, and for part of 2019, in 2022. Right. I, and maybe I'm off on that. Here, here, I mean, with, for the, I don't really have a lot of people like asking me where are guests. Uh -huh. I think I think I've been straightforward with what. It, honestly, I have. I don't want to say I have too much on my plate, but it's just it's not it's just not possible to do it without somebody who's really working as a guest booker, mm -hmm. and that is that I guess theoretically would be you, although that has never been one of your job responsibilities, so I don't know why it would be you outside of just by default, right. it isn't going to be anybody else, mm -hmm. and it's just not really, it's just not, it's just not realistic. So I really do enjoy, and I guess based on the numbers, the people do enjoy what it is now at the moment is QFTA. I do love, I do love long form interviews though. I love doing them. Once the person is sitting in front of me, right. The headache of booking the long form interview is the booking process. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, uh, John Seymour, AKA the sea monster, just absolute without question, the greatest it's that I've seen, you know, I mean, Iggy, maybe back in the day when he, you know, he was doing it for all of these shows. My understanding is he was incredible, uh, with it. But it is not an easy gig. You got a little taste of it at the beginning of Balloon Party. Mm-hmm. Yep. I imagine that was a dark time for you. It was, yeah. Yeah, I would describe it as a dark time, Tim. <laughs> Are you humoring me because you can't see me over the monitor? 
No, I didn't mean for it to come off like that. But it's true. I was trying to think of another way to describe it, but it simply was a dark time. I can tell. I've never really seen you all that stressed. Uh-huh. And I, even though I couldn't see you because we were exchanging texts, I go, God, this poor motherfucker. Yeah. I can yeah. tell. It's a tight read. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was in a bad place. Well, because at the start of Balloon Party, so many. Th- this, this podcast, by the way, is going to wind up being, per the request, if you listen to episode 498, uh, I gave Jackson a Sadie Hawkins. And the choice was, and I'm paraphrasing what the questions were, one was uh, the history of the morning grind, the start and the end, and the morning grind now is the morning after. Uh, and then um, another, the other question that we did in episode 498 was, what were the, the early signs of the relationship between the audience and the show, the passion of the audience for the show, and examples of where the audience, early signs of the audience showing... Uh, support for charity events that kind of told you what was happening. So that's episode 498, if you haven't listened. Um, and there's some anecdotes in there. And I guess it was 497, The Man and the Woman in CBS Sports 920? Yep. Am I right on this? Okay. Yep. yep, yep. So as we approach episode 500, which I still don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm open to suggestions, people have said, oh, bring back everybody from the show. And, and like, you take your pick of whomever over the years – and that sounds like a headache to me that I have zero interest in pursuing, of bringing, trying to bring, take your pick of whomever. Yeah, you be, know, that'd be tough. And so that's not something. But I'm open to anything. I really am open to anything. And I'm thinking over the course of these things, people who are longtime listeners are hearing some things that I haven't said before. Um, but with regards to the early days of Balloon Party, we thought it was going to be one thing. And then after a couple of sods, it was clear it wasn't going to be that. Mm-hmm. And then I said to Jackson, I go, man, I guess we got to book guests. Not because anybody here was telling us, by the way. I'm just like, I guess that's what we got to do. And so then Jackson starts, who's never booked guests before, so it's totally unfair to Jackson. Asking, I get, you tell me what you were doing. Asking people for n- names and numbers to book mm-hmm. guests, and yep. then you're throwing them at me, and I'm going, oh, God. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what I don't want to do. Yeah. Like, I would give money to not have to do this, much less get paid to do it. This right. isn't what I want to do. This is exactly the kind of thing that I don't want to do. So now we do something on Balloon Party that I guess has caught on. Uh-huh. They uh, asked me to uh, – the way that we handled Balloon Party was – I have a, a separate contract, well, I guess it's all under one contract, with, uh, with TMA, with Hubbard, and then a contract with regards to Balloon Party. And I said to Tommy, I said, how about we do six months in LC? Because I'm just not sure this is really what I want to do. And he goes, how about you give me a year? And I go, okay. And then he goes, well, I have a mutual option for the next year. And uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, he said, hey, we want to exercise the, uh, our, on our side our option, so where do you stand on it? And I'm like, oh, that's great to hear that, you know that it's gone well enough that you mm-hmm. want to do that, especially early in the proceedings. It wasn't something that I was necessarily thinking. So uh, that we'd even be discussing, because I think the date was like sometime in September that we had to decide on that. So anyway, I'm glad it's worked out. It's certainly a different kind of show than I anticipated doing, and it's certainly a different kind of show than TMA. Yeah, yep. And, and, I, and I have to say, and I know I say it to you, but I think, I, I don't know how much overlap there is. Mm-hmm. Of the TMA listener, the Balloon Party listener, and the Tim McKernan Show podcast listener. Mm-hmm. But the talent that CMAR, Seamonster, displayed for booking guests is comparable with regards to you mm. 
and your ability to send over these questions to get me going yeah. with regards to the thought process that then engages the audience. That is... That's a talent that I didn't even know was a talent, but now that you are doing it night in and night out, I mean, every night, like around 5 or 5.30, to send those things over. And all it takes is one, and it can become a whole show. Right, It's right. so incredibly valuable, I can't begin to tell you. Even I though it would never be in a job description, and I didn't even know I needed it, now I know I need it, and it's... I don't know that, that anybody can do that because you kind of got to know me. Right. That's the thing. And I, and I very much appreciate the kind words. And it's uh, it's because, and I've said this to you before, every single word you've broadcasted for the last 18 months, I've heard. So, therefore, I kind of have a good idea of what gets you going and what kind of topics are in your Bailey. What, what do, okay, so tell me what gets me going. I don't uh, know. You macro tell me. topics. A lot of macro. I can't. If I had to break down games. Right, exactly. Oh, Right. So I know that's... You that could, you, we could have the Live Golf Tour of radio emerge. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, boy, I don't know. If I got to break down games. But if I can kind of talk about questions where there aren't really answers, I'm in. Yeah. That's what I think. But you tell me. I mean, you produce... Things where you have to psychoanalyze either yourself or people uh, or situations. You media kinda... gets me going. Yeah, media topics. I feel like media is at the root of evil right now. Yeah, um... Some kind of, like, not necessarily only talking about the outcome, talking about the process to which the outcome was made. Kind of like our, like, whenever we talk, like, sliding doors, there's things that happen. No, you're a big sliding doors guy now. I know. There's, a, there's things that happen that lead up to things. You can't just talk about one thing. And then uh, analyzing thing from the less popular side. Kind the less of popular MFF. Yeah, always, always dissecting the less popular MFF. More popular, MMF. Thank you. Um, but kind of, you know, if there's like a populist take, if they're like, oh, there's a lot of things that people are saying is true, like analyzing it from the other side. Is there another side to this? Yes, because the second thing that I think is if I'm going to do my Mount Rushmore of roots of all evil in 2022, I would say media, then I'd go social media, mm-hmm. and then I'd go groupthink, searching for likes and validation from right. those who are experiencing voids in personal or professional fulfillment on social media that then takes people out who have actually accomplished things. And I don't know what the fourth in my Mount Rushmore would be, but those are my top three. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just kind of got you on a, li- going. on a little mini little mini take right there. there when I was just mentioning stuff like that. So. No. There you go. I have a good feel for it, but uh, and I like doing it. It's a f- good way for me to be creative and. So you really do like doing it. I would think it's tough. I mean, you some do days it every. Are real, some days are really tough. God, some days. That's are... the thing. I mean, I'm in. I'm honestly in awe of it. I say that to my wife. I go, God, I don't know how he does it. It's not something that you can just plop somebody in and. Yeah, it's and, tough. And do some, it. Some days are tough. Weekends are usually easier because there's a lot of stuff that weekends and. Sports media in general, like Mondays are usually the day where you have the most to talk about because you just came off a weekend. So Mondays are different. But like a Wednesday, and as we stare down the abyss of nothing but baseball coming up here in a month or two, uh, or I guess sooner than that, it's going to be, it might be difficult, but you know, that's what we power yeah, through. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. Out. So that's the thing, though. The way we do the show, it doesn't matter. Right. It's sports, whatever sports are on. Like, I'll be dead serious. I didn't see a, a pitch of the Cardinals and Brewers last night. Not a pitch, and, and I got to be honest with you, I didn't. I wasn't like, man, I really want to check it out. That building, 
I and the so uniforms the Cardinals wear, it just it's like puts me in a bad spot, which just shows how fucked up I am that a team's uniforms in a shitty stadium. Uniforms get me going. I'm telling you, but anyway, I'm just like yeah, I'm watching the offer right now, and I can't get enough of it. Yeah, God bless. And I'm watching the Stanley Cup final, and that's where I am. And I and, and I mean, it just shows where I am on baseball. I don't know what to say. Ugh, I could psychoanalyze that one all day long too. Maybe that could be something. So anyway, uh, I know people are tuning in for the morning grind thing. And I want to deliver. We're in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. But here's, before I get going, a mm-hmm. couple things. I really want, like, lightning to strike via T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com and somebody go, what about this for episode 500? And to date, that hasn't happened. Now, one could understandably go, fuck off, it's your job. <laughs> and I would go, you know what, you're 100% right. But... I feel like, I mean, the success of the podcast comes from essentially the audience was doing what you do now, right, day right. in, day out, come up with the topics right. to hear whatever insanity that I then verbal vomit yeah. for an hour to 90 minutes here on the podcast. This but is QFTA and Balloon Party is QFTB, questions from the boy. Questions from the boy, also known now as Lil Piddles. <laughs> Lil Piddles, the Lil Piddles who show. Suddenly, we found out as a big 2006 Chicago Bears fan. Yeah, and Trubisky. <laughs> and Lil Trubisky. Trying to fight for his job back. Someone has to. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the morning, the morning grind is the topic here. I don't recall exactly what the email said, but basically uh, for episode 500, could you go through how the morning grind came to be and how the morning grind came to end. So I would imagine I'm going to say some things that I probably haven't said before. The way I've kind of discovered this with regards to these chapters of this show's history is mm-hmm. with time, I get more comfortable talking about, um, cause I certainly like if somebody would have asked for this in 2007 when yeah. it all was burning down, I wouldn't be saying what I'm saying now in 2022. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in what happened in 2020 and 2021 at KFNS, Tune into the podcast in 2035. Yep, yeah. It's going to be great. <laughs> That's essentially what's uh, what's what, what I'm learning about this, because I know yeah. I would have never said this. And again, yeah. I'm not going to like light individuals no. up, but I think I'll provide some color that some people are enjoying if they are a longtime listener. Now, with this, when the show started, Jackson, you were six years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as I said at the tail end of last week's podcast, as I'm trying to get better at teasing, it really started, in my mind anyway, it was born in 2001 during the Cardinals and Diamondbacks NLDS. So there's a good question for our upcoming Trivia Night at St. Gabriel's. Get mm. your tickets at tmastl.com uh, because that uh, that's damn near three years before it all started. Before we get into it, thehomeloanexpert.com is the sponsor of our studios. That's Ryan Kelly, and that is who I got pre-approved with. And that is who you can get pre-approved with and also who you can refinance with. And I recommend it because I have done both with them. And I can tell you wholeheartedly it is an easy process and it is a process of great importance. The purchase market is still fierce and the competition is crazy. The moment a house goes on the market, there are 10, 20, 30 offers on it. I talk to friends who sold their houses. They go, it's so strange because I'm sifting through offers and letters. People try to appeal to the emotions 
So you got to be with the best lender possible, and that's where it comes from with the HomeLoanExpert.com. That's Ryan Kelly. Once you get your home, get it insured with James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Both Ryan Kelly and James Carlton have been with this podcast since the first episode, which was October 1st, 2017, and here we are on the heels of episode 500. Thank you to James Carlton for his support, and at the time, I was not a James Carlton client, and now... Here I am, and I am a very happy one, and I'm thrilled I got to know James, not just because he advertised, but now I'm a client, and I wouldn't go anywhere else. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. Another advertiser, I think, our third advertiser, could be wrong on that, was Mark Hanna, who wasn't on TMA at the time. I don't even know. how. I'd be curious how that all came to pass, actually, but he wanted to get on the podcast, and... Uh, and so we got him on the podcast, and it wasn't in 2017, but it might have been 2018 or 2019. And uh, I mean, you know him oh, well. I mean, best. I think I think Doug's working with him. Yep, I think he's a plowhawk. I know Prod Joe is. I don't know. It's, Ton of our listeners. And I'm just getting together. I said it on the radio today. I said I just got to get together for lunch. I got to figure some things out. I really do. That that's a podcast. <laughs> um, I really do. Uh, and here I am. Talking with a guy who, you know, that's how much I think of him. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. That I'm going to lean on him, or at least at the very least, um, seek his opinion. Because I feel like he has a clarity on life and uh, an understanding of all his clients. Because each client, of course, is going to be different. His number is 314-889-0503 or go online at evergreenstl.com. That's Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. The morning grind. How did it all come to pass? Why, why did it start really in not July 2004, but when Jackson was three Mm. in October of 2001? Why is that the case? Why did I just spit out a little piece of protein bar and turn away from the microphone? I don't know. So in October of 2001, Jackson. Yeah. The Cardinals were playing the Diamondbacks, who would eventually win the World Series, but they were playing them the first round of the playoffs. And the Cardinals had mounted a hell of a charge to just get into the playoffs. And they lost on the last day of the regular season to the Astros. And that meant the Astros would get to play the Braves, a less imposing opponent. Uh, And uh, the Cardinals would play the Diamondbacks. And they weren't necessarily great offensively, but they had Curt Schilling and Randy Johnson. And you knew you'd face... In it's a best of five, you know, three of those games you're going to have started by those guys, and yeah. there's a good chance one of them will pop up in relief in another. Uh, so with that, uh, I was heading out there to cover the series for KMOV. And as I was driving to the airport, I believe, to fly from St. Louis to Phoenix, I was listening to J.C. Corcoran, who... Um, I don't know what station he was on at the time. Uh, I was not on the radio at the time. I was just doing television. And it might have been Casey, actually. I don't know. And I heard the way they were doing sports. And it's not, it's not like J.C. Corcoran's show is a sports show. But uh, the way that they were talking sports. And I thought, this, is, this to me is sports talk radio. Mm-hmm. Not what was going on at the time the only station i believe was kfns and that was more of a we're going to get a guest on 
and we're going to talk about a topic, and then we're going to take a break, and then we're going to get another guest on, and we're going to talk about a topic, and usually they'd be reporters. And to me, it was just like, it was so geared towards older people. And I, and I thought to myself, and I remember J.C. was at Bank One Ballpark. That's the name of the field where the Diamondbacks played at the time. It's the same building, but now I don't know what it's called. Chase Field, maybe? Yeah. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Um, in downtown Phoenix. And he was there, and I remember saying to him when we were out there, I said, man, I was listening to your show on my way to the airport, and I love that kind of style of talking about sports. It's more of a a loose style. Yeah. And not a, you know. Structured. Yeah, structured and also just nothing but you're just catering to such a small and I think older audience. A little more predictable. It's just, ugh. Yeah. God, it makes me nauseous now <laughs> thinking about it. Uh, and, and so... That was October of 2001, and I believe in November of 2001, I flew up to Foxborough, I flew up to Boston, because the Rams were playing a Sunday night game against the Patriots, big deal, and if you ever watch Tom Brady's Man in the Arena, there's a focal point on that game. Uh, they would play him three months later in the Super Bowl, but this was a Sunday night football game. Patriots were good, Brady was just getting going, he had just replaced Bledsoe, and if I'm not mistaken, on that trip... Um, was a gentleman by the name of Mike Wheeler who worked at Clear Channel. And I had, while in Phoenix, um, met up with, to totally pure coincidence, um, we, I, I don't think Doug was with me, but I was working at KMOV. I remember my photographer, might have been Joel Goldberg, who Doug loves to talk about the size of his hands. <laughs> sure. Might have been Martin Kilcoin. I don't recall. And we were having dinner in Scottsdale. Um, and she was just sitting there. And I think she went to Michigan. I mean, really attract. This isn't the way things usually work for me, you know, <laughs> or this is like the first and only time it ever happened. And for whatever reason... She's just sitting there, like, doing homework. You know, you have Arizona State there, and I guess right. maybe that's where she went. Uh, but she's from Michigan. I remember that. And she overheard us talking. She comes over to the table. This really happened. I know this sounds like total bullshit, but it's what happened. Uh, and, you know, she's an attractive lass, and we start bullshitting. But it wasn't like, a, you know, you know what you're thinking, probably, right. it was. She was going out with a guy by the name of Mike Compton, who played for the New England Patriots, which gives you an idea immediately that this wasn't what that was. Right. And if you go back, not that you would want to torture yourself and watch video of Adam Vinatieri's ball going through the uprights to beat the St. Louis Rams, there is a guy doing snow angels in the confetti in mm-hmm. the ensuing moments, and that is Mike Compton of the New England Patriots. Mm, okay. Now, this is, of course, three months before that took place. And... She asks what we do, tell her what we do, and I think she was involved in Phoenix Sports Talk Radio as an intern or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how she loved it and how, you know, they don't really talk sports, but they kind of talk sports. And then, and so in my mind, I'm like, this is all kind of coming together through this trip, just coincidentally. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on this trip. I, I don't want to get, remember if it was, again, the Rams and Patriots in Foxborough or if it was whatever. But I remember talking to Mike Wheeler and exchanging an email with him. I probably have it because I save everything. It's fucking crazy. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, hey, man, 
well, this was after the Super Bowl. So then we're down in the Super Bowl, and he's down there. And I know I had talked with him about it. I said, hey, you know, you said you'd be, you really like when I pop up on TV or radio here and there. Um, hey, you know, I'd be interested in doing a sports show on one of your stations. And at the time, Clear Channel owned a bunch of stations. Now it's like Z1077. I don't know what all all's there. It's, it's iHeartMedia now. Mm-hmm. 100.7. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Point being, they had a bunch of stations. 103.3 Ram Station. That's how, because the Rams were on 103.3, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I got to know him through a Rams trip. And I said, I really think St. Louis could use a sports talk show that is not what is currently being done, because I think there is a demand for a different style of sports talk radio. But there is no supply, mm-hmm. and a younger part of the market is being completely ignored. And you know, he kind of he, was, he responded, and he said, "I appreciate it. You know, maybe someday, or we'll talk, or something along those lines." And I think he left St. Louis, and that was just kind of it. In June of 2002, four months after the Rams lost to the Patriots, Greg Marasek asked me to come work at KFNS. Mm-hmm. He was running KFNS. My dad was the general sales manager. Naturally, what of course takes place, and God, I can't imagine if there was social media, uh, there wasn't, um, was people who were angry about their current positions in St. Louis sports media at the time were like, oh, he's only getting the job because he's his dad's the general sales manager. Never mind that I was, you know, a sports anchor and reporter at KMOV, but whatever. That was, uh, not that that was like super common, uh, but I know that that existed at the time, and I started doing a show with, Jay Randolph Jr. and Rich Gould. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that time, um, I was doing TV and radio, so that meant I was working seven days a week. And I also would go out on the weekends and stay out until God only knows when, for real, like four or five in the morning. Mm. Not, not with any drugs or anything like that, but certainly booze and get super fucked up, strip bars, uh, it was just kind of like that's where people went. I don't, is that still going on? Not as much. Not Did, as much. There are a lot more people. I mean, you just kind of not because I'm like, oh, I gotta go no. get dry humped, but because it's just like you're gonna stay open. out later, right? You right. can drink later. Uh, not as I would say. I haven't ever done it. But there's is that also, right? Really, you've never been to the Stag Bar? Not on the not on the east side of St. Louis. I've been in Columbia a couple times, but uh, mm. yeah, that's the correct reaction. And um, there's a couple places that stay open until like 3 a.m. So you probably go there first. If you, I can't drink past 3 a.m. Yeah. Oh, God. So I'm, that's the thing. I would get all messed up, and then right. my sleep would be all messed up, and I'm like, something's wrong with my sleep, which, to look back on it, I go, how did I not see? <laughs> they just simply weren't getting enough oh sleep. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that I, but I, during the week, I'd go to bed at one time, and on the weekends, I'd go to bed at, like, 5 in the morning and then sleep until 1, and they'd be like, why can't I fall asleep at 9 o'clock? <laughs> yeah, because you've been up for <laughs> six God hours almighty, What a dumb shit. <laughs> so I went, and I remember seeing a doctor, and she goes... At some point here in the near future, you're going to have to leave one of these jobs. It's up to you which one you leave, but you're going to have to leave one. And I knew in 2000, that was probably 2003 at that time, that I did not like doing television. Mm -hmm. Um, It just was creatively vapid. Yeah. Uh, Oh, God. And it's so weird to look back on it, but... 
because it was my dream job when I got it in, in March of 2000. When I got hired at KMOV in March 2000, it's still emotional, actually, to think about it, to call my parents and tell them I'm coming home, especially when I was working in Little Rock and I was yeah. willing to go anywhere, mm-hmm. much less my hometown. But it was clear it just was going nowhere. And even if I would have been promoted, it's just not, I mean, God, I can't even, whatever, the, the money thing, it's not right to talk about. But it just it just wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, I think now people get it. But I, you know, I've told this story, I think, before, but... Mike Bush was in on this podcast early on and we got done and he go and we, and he goes, boy, you've really kind of created something for yourself. He goes, I got to ask you, how did you know? And I go, how did I know what? He goes, how'd you know what was happening with local TV? And I was kind of like, God. It's almost like, how can you? Yeah. But I mean, I, but he, with the level he's at, it's right. a different deal than yeah. me. I mean, he's, an, he's, a, he was, the, is at the yeah, top, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I'm in a different spot at that time and just going, yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's not geared towards people my age and certainly won't be geared toward people. I mean, when, when's the last time you watched local news? Uh, when I was in high school to see if the 15 <laughs> foot jumper I made against Brentwood went in, it was on the, was it on? Uh, no, nice. they were only there for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just, I knew, I was like, oh, good. Even though I'm making less from uh, radio at the time, I knew I kind of liked it, and I look back on it. And by the way, just to get, well, there's no point in saying it, but it wasn't like I was making a lot from radio. It's not like I was making a lot from TV. When you combined them, it was nice, especially being 20-whatever I was. But, um, you know, so I was kind of, I kind of liked that she said I'm going to have to, because then it would take take it off of my plate as far mm-hmm. as it is. Like, I have to leave. The doctor says I have to leave. So it got to a point where my sleep was so bad that when Rob Fisher left Frank Cusimano's show to go to Memphis, um, there was an opening, and Frank was on, I believe, from nine to eleven, which I guess means me, Rich Gould, and Jay Randolph Jr. were only on from seven to nine. I guess. Or maybe Frank was on from 10 to noon like he is now. I don't know. But either way, it was later, and I'm like, is there any way I can move? I just really want to go to a different time slot. Otherwise, I'm, you know, I might have to stop doing it because I can't keep doing this. I am a mess. I was a mess. Mm-hmm. And they decided to move me there with Frank, which might sound completely insane if you didn't get to listen to it, the idea of me and Frank Cusimano doing a radio show. And we only did it for, I don't know, maybe a year to a year and a half. I don't know. But the important part of that and why it's so significant and how the morning grind came to be, and now TMA here 20 years later, is when Frank would go on vacation, Martin Kilcoin. And the cat would come in and fill in, and it we in Frank's show still called the press box. We would call well the audience the like you, there weren't texts then yeah, but the same kind of audience that right <laughs> words talking without words and I picked up on it yeah their way of being angry and trying to you know hurt my feelings uh-huh. uh, which had the opposite effect. I gather speed from you fucking with me is uh, where they would call it the sandbox. Right. Bring Frank back. Where's Frank? This has turned into the sandbox, not the press box. But me, Martin, and the cat loved it. Yeah, right. And, off of it. and just, yeah, because it's just like, we don't want these people anyway. Exactly. So, you know, fuck off. <laughs> Who cares? <Yeah. laughs> and I don't need them, and I don't want them. Right. So fuck off. Fuck off. Uh, 
And so I guess when you, you have that approach, you become a little dangerous. And then the perfect storm came to fruition because Greg Marisek, who was the head of the radio station, decided to sell the station to a group called Big League Broadcasting uh, from Atlanta, mm-hmm. which owns 790 The Zone, which was a successful sports radio station, no longer around, but at the time it was. And they wanted to do a different type of sports talk radio. And I remember they came into the market, and Stake Shapiro was one of the gentlemen who was in charge. You remember that name by chance? First name is Stake? That's Well, Stephen, nicknamed Stake Shapiro. Got it. No, I, I'm not familiar. And his business partner was Andrew Saltzman, and they were known as Steak and Salsa. I would have figured salty steak or something. No, I'm sorry. Steak and salsa. Steak and salsa. Yep. Now, you were six when this was happening, or five even. Right. I should be. I should have, I should have boned up before coming in here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they had they, they go, that, that sandbox thing is our morning show. Yeah. And they, uh, I mean, approached us, and it's so weird because when you're, when you're that young, you just expect opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And I don't even think I thought anything. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, obviously we mm-hmm. are. I mean, why wouldn't we be? It's right. got, it's got a following, even though we've probably only done like seven shows <laughs> together, but you're so fucking delusional. Yeah. Um, and then paid us a nice amount of money and I'm making shit 60% more than I was making from TV now. Oh, wow. Uh, in addition to doing TV and not liking doing TV. Yeah. More than that, actually. Uh, double, double, uh, I think all in. Yeah. And I'm not even 30 yet. I'm not even close to 30. And so I'm going, this is fucking great. And so they wanted to put me and Martin and the cat on from, I believe seven to 10. Mm -hmm. And I think they might've wanted to be six to 10, but we all had television jobs. And so we got the seven to 10 thing. And that is why this has been the time slot ever since. Um, and so we started some producer Joe always has the official date. I think it's like July 23rd, 2004, something in there. Mm-hmm. And when we started, I remember we met the day before. And now keep in mind, it's just me, Martin, and the cat. There's no producer Joe at the time. We were told we were getting a producer and that they were bringing him in from Atlanta. And, and I remember the program director by the name of Rob Weingarten, who had the nickname the Colonel. Mm-hmm. A lot of colonels in our lives. Yeah. Um, saying, we got a guy. You know, I think a New York guy, so I'm going to go in a New York guy. Sure. We got a guy. He's got a lawn business. <laughs> <laughs> the lawn boy. In Atlanta. And uh, we think he would be great for you guys, so we're going to hire him as a re- producer. And I just remember that I just, you know, again, I'm, I, I was fresh off of my honeymoon. Um, and had come back, I think that I think I'd gotten back the day before. And then we met at channel two in their conference room, me, Martin, and the cat. And I just remember thinking to myself, this whole thing with the lawn thing, I don't get why, like he's got, he's got a good lawn business at Atlanta. Like why that mat? Like it's nice, <laughs> right? but Congrats. it's like, you know, what does it have to do with this? Yeah. But again, when we would do the show, it's not like we really had a producer. We just talked right. like kind of like this. Yeah. So it didn't matter, so I didn't really care. And in their minds, there were real producers at the station in Atlanta, so the producer thing was an important thing. I think Iggy was Frank's producer, but I could be wrong on that. He's always talked about being Frank's producer at one one point. I don't know if it was that time, but yeah. So um, 
So Joe wasn't a part of it at the beginning, nor was Stedman, contrary to, I think, what I thought was the case. I think yeah. Joe texted me to correct me. There was a guy named, I think his name was Mike Nickel, uh-huh. or it was Mike Nicholson, and I remember Jennings calling him Nickel. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen him, Jackson, in two decades. Yeah. But uh, he was a banty rooster, <laughs> and he would get really upset about things. We've, the show has never had a board operator like him. Was uh, he like takey upset? No. Or was he upset with personnel? I think, and I could be off on this. I mean, every uh, listen, first off, you know, if you, what what is the morning grind, the morning after his business model, whatever Howard Stearns was. Yeah. That's it. It, it. You know, I, I've never ran from that. I've never uh-huh. run from that, ran from that, swam, swum. Well, you're currently not running from it, so... I've, Thank you. You haven't run from it. So yeah, I just it? damn it. Yeah, see, you got me confused. But yeah, that's my influence without question. Yeah. And so I felt like anybody on the show you interact with, but now it's commonplace for people to talk with the board operator in St. Louis Sports Talk Radio. That wasn't going on. Ah, okay. See so what I'm saying? I'm not was... saying I'm not saying like I, you know, discovered like he... fire here. Right, like he I spoke ripped and... off something from right. Howard Stern. Uh, where Fred Norris was an active part of the show, albeit uh-huh. not like a huge personality, but an active part of the show. Mm-hmm. Just like I'm sure anybody else who did Morning Drive all over the country did. So I'm not saying that I did anything special here. It just wasn't common. And so I just remember this. I just remember him screaming and kind of like the, the just having like a higher-pitched voice <laughs> when he would scream, and it would like stop the show. So he initially was the board operator. So what became the morning grind with Martin, the cat, myself, producer Joe, and Stedman originally was not. When we went on the air, I believe day one, July 2004, it was Martin, the cat, myself, and Nickel. <laughs> Nickel. So for uh, TMA Trivia Night. Yeah, wow. Uh, that, that, Name that, the four yeah. first of the first yeah. show, the morning grind. I think grind people would before. probably say me, Martin, the cat, and producer Joe, yeah. and they're going to be wrong. Look, that's your notepads right now, folks. That's, that's what I believe is, is the case. Now, a couple of things on the very beginning. We all signed contracts, and the show was so unpopular <laughs> at the beginning Easily, like if you thought the balloon party response was bad, Mm -hmm. this was 10 times worse. Yeah. So bad that, and I don't know how I became aware of it, they were thinking about getting rid of us within a couple of weeks. Wow. So a show that is now approaching its 18th birthday in Mm -hmm. July of 2022 was nearly gone after a couple of weeks. My guess is... They didn't do it because they would have had to peel off a nice amount of money to Martin the Cat and myself. Right. Um, although, who knows, maybe with those guys they would have tried to drum up cause. Um, and uh, the Cat would have gotten one of many free bathrooms <laughs> right. that he would eventually get. So, uh, so that was a thing. When the show initially started, I was running point, like I have been since 2007. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know what I don't know what else to say outside of I don't know if Martin necessarily was on board with that, but when they would come in to do the sandbox, um, I was obviously running point because I was the guy who was doing right. the show. Right, 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 right. And so then without even just talking about it, that was just kind of what we expected to do. It wasn't like me ego tripping or Martin ego tripping mm-hmm. about 
who needs to be running point. Uh, but that was just the way that, it, because I was co-hosting with Frank, and it'd be weird if all of a sudden somebody who's not the regular host is now in there hosting because Frank is out. Although I guess that happens now here on his yeah, show. I was about to say, like, <laughs> I guess I like, back in the day on TMA, like I'd be out and then Jay um, would come in and run point right, or Charlie, Charlie would, would run point. I guess you run point on yeah. days where I have. It would be actually wild if Doug or the cat oh, back yeah, in the I day know. were to run point when yeah. you were out. So. so I guess we, I say it and then I think about it. I go, oh, that's exactly <laughs> what's been going on for 15 years now that I think about it. But, it, but anyway, so their way to kind of try to shake it up because the audience of KFNS listeners at that time from 7 to 10 was a lot different than the audiences on TMA right now. Yeah. A lot of the TMA listeners back then weren't even around or too young to be listening to, to mm-hmm. the radio. And so, I mean, the olds were furious. <laughs> the olds were furious. Oh, the olds <laughs> were furious. Maybe that could be the title of this episode. Yeah, the, morning, the, the birth of the morning grind. The, the olds were furious. furious. Yeah, uh, and, and so these guys didn't know what the hell to do. And so they were really thinking about whacking us. And then they did this thing. God, I remember the Colonel, the program director, not Gabe DeArmond, not Gabe DeArmond, also known as at power Mizzou now, nom <laughs> de plume on Twitter. Um, the Colonel got into this thing where. We would, you know, <laughs> this really happened. <laughs> uh, all, all members of the show can corroborate this, that we would rank how we did in each segment. <laughs> <laughs> like out of 10? I'm dead serious. Like on like on the window into the studio. <laughs> like I look back on this. See, that's the thing. I told you before we started this. Like I'm just going to go through my memory, yeah. and I know I'm going to leave some shit out. No doubt, but it's unbelievable. Oh, my God. And... Uh, and so Joe would come in and he was, you know, he was, he was so arrogant right. for having done jack shit. <laughs> How old was he at the time? So he was born in 79. So he was probably 24 or five. So like my age. Yes. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> and, and, come and Martin's a sports director yeah. and the cats, the Cardinals, you know, sideline guy. And even though I'm lowest on the totem pole, both age and, you know, TV experience wise, it's not like I hadn't done shit. Right. We had all uh, done some things. And we got this fucking guy who's the cutting lawn lawns guy. in Atlanta yeah. coming in and going, well, Martin, you know, and so, <laughs> <laughs> and as a, so I can't remember what that, but Martin, but Martin's sense of humor is so cutting and direct that I don't know if Joe knew that Martin was making fun of him. Not to, I'm sure Joe would say he did now, uh-huh. um, but you know, it's, but uh, he would come in and we would have to like judge how we did in a segment. But I remember the Olympics were going on. I didn't care about the Olympics then. Yeah. I care even less now the in 2004. Athens. Okay, great. So somehow we were able to get, I'm going to look it up to make sure. Was it might be a podcast. All right, let's see. I looked up Carly Patterson, a gymnast. All right, I was right. There you go. Jesus, she's 34 now. All right, so she won a medal or something at the Olympics. Okay. Gymnast, 2004 Olympics. Jackson, the 2004 Olympics took place in Athens. Okay, Athens. Oh, 2000 was Sydney. Okay. Where was 2008? Beijing. Where was 2012? London. Where was 2016? Rio de Janeiro. I couldn't, you could have offered me $10,000 for each <laughs> correct answer, and I couldn't have gotten it. Dead serious. I might have been able to pull up London. Yeah. So anyway, the Colonel books Carly Patterson on the show, fresh off of winning a gold medal. And just being a complete 
fucking asshole. <laughs> Which I which it hasn't really changed. It's just I manage it differently now. <laughs> so I said something like, "So tell me about the gold medal. Is it nice?" You know, <laughs> I'm just like, "Why are we having a wrong? We don't care." That's a who's big for you. Kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, and I remember he was just like, "Come on! I mean, you got to do better than that with this. You get a, you get a gold medal winner on the show. You guys got to be watching the Olympics." And I'm just like. But we don't care, man. Right, I can't. Right. You can't make me care about a gymnast. I realize, by definition, it's sports. That's not what we do. Right. Right. So, from in that standpoint, I guess we were true to the game from the get go. It's like a couple days ago. Not that it matters. I mean, with the however many texts and emails and shit that comes into the show, but I occasionally see one. It's like some guy was mad. He was breaking down hole by hole with a member guest, mm-hmm. and I was a participant, and I was kind of like, all right, let's wrap her up. <laughs> yeah. But some guy writes in, the Cardinals are in first place. Why are you doing this? like, fuck off. I mean, you got Randy and Michelle on 101 ESPN. You can listen to them talk about it, it probably with, like, somebody who's actually on the team right now. Seriously, yeah. Getting incredible on a guess. crystal clear FM signal. Yeah. Go listen to it. We yeah. don't do this. Like, after 18 years, are you surprised we're not breaking down the Cardinals and Red Sox? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is what we do, man. Yep. What we do. You know, it's like it's like if you tuned into Randy and Michelle and go, how come you're not talking about Iggy and Tim at the member guest? Yeah, seriously, <laughs> yeah. Like, when are you guys going to read the Dear DJ? <laughs> we do what we do, and if you don't like it, fine. Right. Fuck off. Right. It just doesn't matter anymore. Yep. So, but I, but I had that mindset irresponsibly in 2004. Now I'm like, yeah, it really kind of doesn't matter. But then it should have mattered. And I remember we got Dustin Diamond in. Ah, Screech. May you rest in peace. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Was well, isn't that when you guys dressed up? <laughs> Which I don't know if it's a joke or not. Oh, hundred percent, it was a joke. Okay. I believe this. The, the it certainly would be the cat's sense of humor. Uh huh. So Dustin Diamond's coming in. Screech, no longer with us. Yeah, just uh. And I guess he was doing stand up. Yeah, he passed recently. Yeah. And I and this is this is a hundred percent the cat. Why in the world we came up with this? Uh, so wait, I, my question was that was the <laughs> I know that the obviously I, did you guys actually wear hundred percent? Oh my god, <laughs> I didn't. I thought that was a joke. I mean, can you imagine if social media was around? First off, or if YouTube was around, I believe <laughs> yes, even better. I believe. That, and I and I have to say I'm somewhat in awe that I actually didn't break because the cat can stay in character yeah, better than anybody. Yeah. Martin can stay in character, and I'm Giggle Boy. Yeah, right. But I stayed in character. But maybe I just didn't think it was all that funny. I just thought it was so fucking weird. <laughs> but I went along with it. I believe so. Screech comes in. And I think it was the cat's idea. Joe, of course, will be able to absolutely. I feel like Joe has a diary yeah. on the show. Uh, that maybe he's going to publish just because Iggy's going to publish a book and Joe's going to cock block him with his diary. <laughs> Counter programming. <laughs> so uh, the I believe the cat came up with the idea that he would wear a Rams helmet during the interview and God. not address it. That Martin would wear a monocle and I <laughs> and not address it. <laughs> and that I would stand in the corner, not say anything. With a Confederate soldier's hat on, holding a rifle, <laughs> you look like Captain Crunch. <laughs> and we actually did this. I, and I don't know. Joe has CDs because it's not they're not saved anywhere. Yeah, right. CDs of the old shows, not all of them. I wonder if he has this one. 
Uh, obviously, I could text him and ask. Yeah, but that would be unbelievable. But but it really went on. I don't know how great the audio would be. Essentially, we were bad. doing it for ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> because there was no way for the audience to see it. And I don't know what year it happened. I mean, the show was only on from July with Martin. Yeah, from July two thousand four to October two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Um. But but to me, the thing that put the show on the map, and it's important, I'm telling you, I don't, Jackson can attest, not that this is really surprising to anybody who knows the brand, I don't have anything written down in front of me, so this is all 100% from memory. Well, yeah, the script would be 2,000 pages oh, long. Oh, my God. But I but the thing that put the show on the map, whereas, I, I and I, I'll say it, to, and I, don't, I almost don't like saying it, but it's... It's, it, I guess maybe it's important in telling the story of the whole show. I still think, and it doesn't matter because it's totally subjective, but I just I put Martin Kilcoin's talent. Like if you're like, it's like a a, a, a hitter and you go five tool. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right, Doug, right, Doug might be the greatest, I don't even know what you would call it. I, I, the way I, when people say, like if they're ever talking to me about the show, and as we said last week, as you can imagine, I don't bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but if somebody does and they start talking about it and I'll say, all I am is the point guard. Right. And I get the ball in the hands of the guys who are going to score. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And I'm also responsible for a lot of the business of the show. But as far as the guys who are the ones who score, you know, it's, it's, it's specifically take your pick of however you'd want to rank it, but it's the other guys on the show and it, in, in, that actually wasn't the way it was in 2004 to 2006. Um, I was probably, not that I was nearly as, as good as Doug at all, because I wasn't. I was fucking crazy. That's what, that's what the issue was, and I'll get into that momentarily. But as far as, like, if you're grading out, because uh, Doug is like the great, the way I always draw an analogy, and you'll like it, Jackson, he's like the greatest two-guard of all time. Yep. You know, if I'm the point guard and he's the two-guard, he is the greatest two-guard. Yep. He is comedic timing. His he knows where I'm going, and I know where he is, and yeah. I'm going to get it to him, and he's going to hit the shot, and it's just yeah, he's the greatest time. two guard. And on top of it, as far as somebody to work with, I mean, if we're on a one to ten, or if we're on an F to A plus, or however we're grading, whatever it is, he's a ten A plus, whatever. He's just never has caused a problem. Yeah, he's Literally never has caused a problem in the 15 years he's been on the show. Um, and management likes him, everybody works with him likes him, never causes a problem. Uh, but then on top of it, it's hilarious. And I say that, and it's intended to also, because Martin wasn't afraid, not to say that Doug is, that's not what I'm saying, I'm just Martin would be cutting. Yeah. And in to- on top of his ability to do impressions uh. um, and kind of go into characters and just be so dry, so quick. I just think he is just sick, sick talented. Ask Tony is... So that's what I was about to say. Yeah, Ask, ask Tony. Tony is what put... To me, Ask Tony is what put the show on the map for people who otherwise weren't going to listen. Uh-huh. If Ask Tony were created in, let's say, Tony LaRusse is managing in 2022 and you have all of the things that you have now in 2022 with regards to media and social media and YouTube clips and all that, the thing that, you know, for like Chris Vernon, I know this is somewhat obscure and his master's updates that get <laughs> viewed a million times with yeah. Tony Finau, where he be now. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and whatever the clips of things that, you know, people look forward to and they get passed around on Twitter, or yeah. Facebook or Instagram, whatever. And of course, YouTube, that that's what it would be for the morning grind. And so I believe every Tuesday at eight o'clock, we would do Ask Tony. And this was Martin's idea. And his thought process was. He would listen to LaRusso, who, <laughs> who I believe, in a way to try to ingratiate himself to kind of the older audience in St. Louis sports, which Jackson and I may or may not deal with now mm-hmm. for an hour, mm-hmm. uh, th- that he would go on KMOX on Sunday mornings because it was clear he was unpopular. Yeah. Amongst them, he was balloon party before balloon party yeah. existed. <laughs> Except he, he had won a bunch of pennants so, at a world championship in Oakland, and yeah. he, he was not popular here. I know it might say, it sounds like revisionist history, but he was he was not popular really until they won the pennant in two thousand four. And so he went on Camwex on Sunday mornings, and Martin loved listening to it because. The questions we would ask him where he would light our asses up down at Bush Stadium. And it just mattered. It was a matter of who was going to get their ass lit up that day. And we just, in a way, kind of laughed about it because the questions were fair. But we knew he yeah. could just jump Spurs. our ass, especially after a loss. You were just fucked. It didn't yeah. matter what you asked. Right. Um, but uh, after a win, he was great. And, I, hey, I, if anything, I respect it. Intense competitor. Yeah. So on Sunday mornings on KMOX, he would take these questions from <laughs> they were so asinine oh god <laughs> and they would be suggestions on top of questions i mean they they really weren't like tony tell us what it's like you know what was it like managing mark mcguire and jose canseco yeah, right it was you know have you ever thought about maybe jim edmonds pitching you know like the seventh <laughs> inning and then you know, we can put him back out there in center field like why do you do with ken daly and todd Worrell? all right tony tony i'll hang up and listen you know, that kind of thing. That's what it was. Yeah. Well, that's a really, really astute <laughs> question. The... So at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays, I would now go over to Run Point, and so help me God, Cat can attest to this, uh, Martin would go into character. Like the commercial break in between the end of the 7 o'clock hour and the start of Ask Tony at the 8 o'clock hour, it would be like... I don't. I haven't been around Daniel Day Lewis as much as I would have liked to have been. Right, right. No, I mean there will be blood. We spent a couple weeks. With him. <laughs> we did, but he really went into character. Right. And like the studio was kind of silent, whereas usually we're just fucking off in commercial breaks because he was going into character. I'm dead serious, and I mean it. It was truly like he was there. And so the cat and the cat loved to ask questions. From obscure <laughs> members of like the early '80s White Sox, <laughs> that Tony managed, and the cat also an absolute A plus when it comes to delivering deadpan lines yeah, and not sure. breaking. Yeah. Uh, and then Martin could stay in character and answer anything, and answer anything, and I would be over there wetting myself laughing and just moving the microphone away so you didn't hear me at like 26 giggling my ass off while this shit was going on. And then it got to a point where we started taking calls and the callers then, I think this is the beginning of the audience becoming a huge part of the content on the show. Yeah. 
the audience was in on the joke, and so the audience would call in and ask asinine questions of Tony, and they started getting it. And this was definitely younger people. And so at that moment, it kind of became, you know, you never were going to say it was like the cool kid's table, but it clearly became like, oh, you don't like the morning grind? Well, you're probably old and you don't get it, so fuck off. Yeah. You know? Right. You probably like, you know, the beat writer coming on and breaking down the pirate series. Mm-hmm that's boring that isn't where you know my generation is anymore we're with the morning grind and that because the the people were calling in were younger and then because calvin may who you have been become a huge fan of how could you you not was for whatever reason and to me this is worthy of a swope's picks god i would love to hear buck swope interview calvin may (laughs) uh that's what i hear calvin may talk oh my god i have no idea how this happened but it really did happen, and I can't imagine what they would think like in New York or ESPN when they would be rolling on Cardinal postgame sound, <laughs> and the first question would be from Calvin May, but it was understood at Cardinal postgame press conferences that this gentleman, who could not be nicer, Calvin yeah. May could not be a nicer person, um, for whatever, but I don't, he was, I don't believe he was a full-time reporter. I think he had a painting business in Rolla, but he got a credential, and he was a stringer. That's what, yeah, the, stringer for AP, right? Okay, so you knew it. All yeah, right, it's yeah. great. Stringer great that you know AP. it, and you were five, and I was there, and I didn't know. Uh, and somehow, and I have no idea how, it was understood that he would get the first question of it, as if he's Helen Thomas at the White House <laughs> in the Reagan administration. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, what in the fuck when I look back on that? And that's so, you know, the Cardinals are playing the Red Sox in the World Series. You got the Boston media, you got ESPN, you got everybody there. Uh, Tony, would you say that? <laughs> the fire in the, the you know, dugout. Tough to see soup, not not know whether to run home. You know, so, it, and that's what it was. And you could not ask a question before Calvin did. Yeah. So then we got to a point with Ask Tony that Calvin would be the first one on, <laughs> and he would call in. It's incredible. And then we got to a point where Tony became aware of it and he would see the three of us down at the ballpark because at that point I left my basement and I would go down there and he would just look at us and just shake his head, you know, but he kind of liked it. Uh, You could tell he kind of liked it. Kind of liked it. Again, it depended on what the situation was with how the team was playing. But ask me in 12 hours. That's right. I'd say because that is a real thing. You saw La Russa. I, and, and you just, you know, it's, hey, Jackson, how you doing? Right. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Just walking past him in the hallway, you know, the tunnel out on the way you're out to the field. Uh, hey, Tony, how you doing? Nah, ask me in about eight hours. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh, fuck, I better not ask LaRusse how he's doing. I just keep making the mistake. And I remember, I guess he heard about it, and he saw the three of us, and he just shook his head, but he kind of had this smirk, <laughs> like, you guys are fucking clowns. <laughs> But it's good stuff. Now, he could never acknowledge he was listening. So, Martin really enjoyed this. He loved saying, you know, uh, I was, uh, I had to borrow Patini's car. Joe Patini was, <laughs> I think, the, a bench coach or a first base coach or something. Cowboy Joe Patini. Always wore a big belt buckle. That's what I remember about Joe Patini. Uh, I was about Bob Patini's car, and he had the car, the radio set to your station, and so I heard the show this morning. Guys like to talk a lot of bull crap on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a morning zoo, morning boys. What's it called, are, morning zoo? Martin, you were with the, what the what do you call it, two fox, and that's how the two fox came along. 
And so, so one time, well, I think a couple times, Larusa actually called in to ask a question of Martin oh as himself. Yeah, that's the pinnacle right there. It doesn't oh. get better. So that is what put the show on the map because the word was kind of spreading again without social media that this thing, you know, was different and it had caught. And again, it was because of the talent in the room. And I say this very seriously. Uh, I do deserve a lot of credit for the show's success. However, the start of the show's success, I don't deserve a lot of credit for. It really, I mean, Martin was so fucking good. The cat was so fucking good. And then they kind of navigated with the benefit of hindsight how fucking crazy I was. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, and I, I feel like I'm almost like he doth protest too much. It wasn't about, even though I listened to it and I go, God, I, it sounds like I'm on cocaine. That's what it sounds like. I've never done cocaine. Mm-hmm. I, if I did, you know I'd tell you. You're right. Uh, but I was so fucked up. I was taking, started with Ambien, then it went to Lunesta. I don't hear them advertising anymore. I don't know if they've like been outlawed. I have no idea. Uh, you I haven't fuck he- with that shit? No, no, no. I Melatonin. All melatonin. Okay. Melatonin gummies. They are delicious and they put me right to sleep. Yeah, I got, uh, I, I was on it because of my sleep issue. Right. And... Um, but I was fucking a mess. But I was great. I'm not. I'm, I, there was nothing. I, I was addicted to alcohol or anything. I would smoke occasionally. I would drink. That's uh-huh. what I did. That's the only thing. I was. And I started to play poker when I was in Boston to cover the World Series in '04. Uh, in '04, yeah. dead serious. I had nothing to do. I remember watching Anchorman in my hotel room and playing online poker on Poker Stars just to kill time. Yeah. Which again speaks to. I don't know what that speaks to. It's fucking weird in the hindsight. A nice hotel in downtown Boston and. Right. That's what I was doing. But anyway, um, and the thing had had started to get popular, and the show, I was the, I don't even know who to compare me to on the current show, just the, like, if I listen to clips from that show, it makes me cringe now. Mm-hmm. Dead serious. Mm-hmm. Dead serious. And honestly, I don't know how Martin and the cat put up with it. Very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, they did. Yeah. But it's a total, like, if you heard me then and you hear me now, you know, you'd go, what in the world? And I go, what in the world? Mm-hmm. And I'm, honestly, I'm embarrassed by it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I was, like, doing bad things, but that I just was, like, just, I don't know, lacking self-awareness. And, sure. You know, uh, ego gone wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look back on that time, and the show was getting popular. I was making, for real, twice as much in change, probably, uh, than I was making from TV. And there was a set of circumstances that I still have not gotten into, and I maybe will someday. The buildup was so big, I fucked that up, too. That's embarrassing. Um with regards to my situation at KMOV and I didn't like doing TV, but I had been told something was going to happen. And then when the time came for that thing to happen, uh, it did not happen. Yeah. And I decided to leave and I turned down a job. I guess I can say this now. Again, what the fuck's it matter? I had turned, I, I was offered the job that Joel Goldberg wound up taking and he left channel two to go to Fox, what was called Fox sports Midwest. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, how awkward would it be if I worked at Bailey's for the Plowhawk <laughs> right now? Yeah, it would be awkward. And I was told something was going to happen if I turned it down. And so I did. And uh, then the time came and that thing was not delivered upon. And I was, as you can imagine, very disappointed in that. Mm-hmm. That's why, I mean, it's not why I take it seriously when I tell people who work with me or for me or whatever, uh, something is going to happen. I got to keep my word, period. Yeah. And that's that. There's not a, there's not an open to interpretation thing on that. And, uh, and so I was irritated by that. Plus the general manager of KMOV, because the show is getting popular, starting to get attention and his assistant, his executive assistant listened to the show mm-hmm. uh, and she really liked it. But it got back to him some of the shit that we were saying on there, that I was saying in particular. And I remember him calling me up to the office because my contract was coming up. And great guy, Alan Cohen, great guy. We've gotten closer. Uh, I haven't talked to him for a while, but we got closer after I left. He played a huge role in me getting the job opportunities that I've spoken about on here before right. in television in, in Denver and in New York. Um, and actually had me come back and fill in anchor when I think Savard and Doug were both out in 2009. Uh, he goes, guess what I watch um, at 10 o'clock? And I go, Channel 4 News? And he goes, yeah, sometimes. But I watch Howard Stern on E. Because mm. Howard Stern was on E! Entertainment yeah, Television, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is now, I guess, like all yeah. reality. It's like Kardashians, I guess. I don't fucking know. The award show, uh, Red Carpet's always on E. Yeah. So... Uh, and I go, really? And he goes, yep. And he goes, I love Howard Stern, but I would never hire Howard Stern to be a reporter on yeah. our station. And I go, yeah, he makes, you know, $100 million a year. He probably wouldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> just a fucking that asshole. Yeah, smart asshole. Oh, he's such an asshole. <laughs> I mean, here's a guy who, like, was a GM at, like, 30 in 1981. He's got this fucking prick his weekend anchor his number three guy in the sports department now i think it's the biggest thing in the world right it means absolutely nothing i don't even know sports departments have number threes anymore yeah, i'd be surprised uh you know but he liked me but his whole thing was you know and i think i was probably i'm sure i was asking for more money with my contract being up um he's like you're gonna have to decide whether you want to be radio tim or tv tim and I'm like, it, I knew inside what I, well, I knew who I was. And mm-hmm. I, I, I am, right. that's who I am. Right. TV, TV, Tim, I mean, I can do, I can go sit, sit down on a set and do it right now. It's effortless It's because there's zero creativity. You're reading right. off a prompter and you're just not trying to upset old people. That's essentially the business model. Yeah. I, nobody's trying to win. They're trying not to lose and trying to just hold on. At least mm-hmm. that's what it was then. And my guess is what it is now. Fuck, I don't know. And, uh, and so uh, I said, okay, I'll be, I'll be TV, Tim, mm-hmm. you know? And in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I, I can't do this. Number one, I had been told something was going to happen. It didn't happen. And that already caused a problem because uh, that's tough to get over when that happens. You turn down a job, even though, you know, if I really, really wanted that job, that's where I would have gone. That was May of 2004. Uh, yeah, May of 2004. And then um, I loved what was going on with the morning grind. Right. Loved it. And so a couple days later, I went back up to see him, and my contract, I think, was expiring in March of 2005. Yeah, it makes sense, because I started in March of 2000. And I think I had a a few weeks left on my contract, and it just shows how dumb you are, or how dumb I was. Uh, 
And I'm like, hey, you know, I just think I want to go. Mm-hmm. I was making more from radio anyway, not that he needed to know that, but he probably knew it. And I just, it's just not what I want to do. Now, the problem with that was before I got a chance to meet with him, I think I was meeting with him at 2.30, one of the producers for the 6 o'clock news came back and said, hey, we're going to have you live over at what was at the time, I think, called the Scott Trade Center, now Enterprise Center, for a blues pregame. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go live from there at 6 o'clock. And I wasn't going to tell him, hey, I'm going to leave here. Mm-hmm. In, in a half hour because I didn't want to get out. So I'm just like, okay, sounds good. Well, there's nobody else in the sports office at the time, and I knew at 2.30 that I was going to leave. Now, my dad, and this is something that I was thinking about over Father's Day. I was thinking about how many times, it's almost like the scene in The Godfather, because I'm watching The Offer right now, mm-hmm. which is so good, huge recommendation on Paramount+. Plus. Like when Marlon Brando, Don Corleone, is telling Al Pacino... Michael Corleone, what is going to happen? Yep, in the garden's the best scene in the movie. And he just calls shots. Yeah. My dad has called so many shots with regards to people's character over the years, and I would be like, ah, oh, you're wrong on this person. Oh, you're wrong on that person. And he just, he, yeah. he just fucking nails them yeah. every fucking time. And then I go, yeah. God, he knew, you know, uh, or that this was going to happen. And I remember then, and my parents were really, my dad, I don't know about my mom, my dad was really... I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but was not on board at all with me leaving TV to do radio. Because mm-hmm. at the time I was doing both, and I right. had been doing both since June of 2002. And now it's February of 05, and I am going to go put all my eggs in the radio basket. Mm-hmm. I think part of that was the group who owned KFNS mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, and, and I think my dad knew that they were having problems. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I can picture for whatever fucking reason, it's so weird. I don't know how many times I've said this to you when I tell these stories that I can picture where I was when we were having this conversation. I can picture I'm getting off of McKnight to go on 40 East, probably to go back to where I lived. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, people are going to say you got fired. Mm-hmm. And I go, I don't fucking, who cares? What does it matter? Right. Well, later that day, you know, like I said, I told the producer at two o'clock that I was going to leave, or I, don't, I told me I'll be over at Scott Trade at six o'clock. Right. I go up and see Alan Cohen at 2.30, and I tell him, I'm going to leave. I just, but can I get paid for the remainder of my contract, which is only like four weeks? For him, it's like a rounding error. You know, I know how much I'm making. I know how they're doing. You know, I have an idea of how much money they were bringing in. My little pittance of a number three sportscaster salary, you know. They could handle that. They could handle it. And I'm just like, is there, would that be, you know. And he goes, yeah. And I go, and then I got a non-compete, you know, and I think I was doing Missouri Valley, the Missouri Valley tournament on Fox Sports Midwest. Mm-hmm. Can you let me do that? Because um, I guess by definition that could be a violation. And he allowed me to do that and radio. So much so, I remember Jamie Allman uh, contacting me months later going, because he was getting ready to leave TV to do radio. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, how'd you get that done? You know, you know, and I'm like, well, I just kind of was the way that we were able to, you know. Work it out. Well, I mean, I'm the number three guy. You know, it's <laughs> not like I'm Larry Connors or Julius Hunter, or, right. you know. Uh, I can't remember the name of the actor I work with her. She was from Arkansas. God, what the hell what was her name? Uh, Newton? Uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? God. You, you, Doug always says some. She was really good. Vicki Newton? Vicki Newton. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, super talented. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, the point being, it, I don't fuck, you know, yeah, you know, 
everybody kind of knows their spot in the pecking order. No, you're old. Right. And me as the number three guy, it didn't really matter. And then furthermore, I had remembered, I think Julius Hunter's last month at KMOV after being in local news for decades, I think going back to the 60s, mm. was December of 2004, I think. And KMOV beat KSDK in the ratings, which was a big deal, in February of 2005. And I remember thinking, God if Julius Hunter, quote unquote, doesn't matter, and I want to make sure I'm, you know, to ratings, mm-hmm. then I sure as hell don't matter, and I will never have a leverage and have leverage in a negotiation. Mm-hmm. And so, I remember what then happened. I think that was a Friday, mm-hmm. and then I went to see my sister play a basketball game, and then at the game. Some people coming up to me, and again, this is then, it's, and it's, it seems like a different time, like the 19th century. Hey, I heard what happened at KMOV. Sorry about that. And I'm like, I left. But part of the deal was you're not allowed to, to talk about it. And, mm-hmm. and the risk was if I did talk about what happened, as in the thing that really kind of irritated me, which I still haven't talked about publicly, uh, that, that, I, that they might say you can't do radio. Mm-hmm. So I was going to honor that. Right. But because I couldn't control the narrative, what was going on, the narrative was that I had gotten fired, Mm -hmm. which was complete bullshit. I still think Doug might think I got fired. Mm. Not that anybody gives a shit anymore. Right. But but here's the thing, Jackson. I wouldn't blame him Uh because if the guy's in at work and all of a sudden he's not there and he told the producer, I'll be live at the Scott Trade Center. Yeah. You know, and then he's not there and there's no. But I was really irritated with what had happened mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean i definitely wouldn't have handled it i the, the way i, I the, the, one of the things that i've preached against i don't know how often i've ever talked about it with you because it's just not even on the you know radar of something we would ever do amongst us is i is opposed to sitting down with steve savard man to man or even going on a phone call i sent him a long email which i think i still have such a bitch move. And mm-hmm. I don't care that I was whatever age I was. It it, it still doesn't excuse it. It, it. It's just a bitch move on my part, mm-hmm. on, not on his part, on my part. That needed to be talked about face to face. And uh, I regret that. I don't regret leaving TV. Now, there hasn't been a moment since I left there that I've regretted it ever. I've sometimes wondered about if I should have gone to Denver or I should have gone to New York. More mm-hmm. of the New York thing than Denver. Um but I've never regretted leaving KMOV ever. Not a split second. I didn't enjoy it. It didn't make that. I didn't make that much. I mean, relatively speaking. And I had something else that I did enjoy, and I was making more money from. But what bothered me in the moment was people saying I got fired. Yeah. Which is weird. But I got to tell you, I mean, just yesterday, you were around me with something mm-hmm. that was yeah, yeah. I was getting blamed for. Right. Now this is not fired but no. blamed for and i'm like god i have nothing to do with this but i can't right. explain it because then i'm throwing at what we considered throwing people under the bus even though i'd just be telling the truth yeah and i still to this day hate that shit and it ruins my day mm-hmm. but to me if you are an employer you would rather have an employee who will keep it in the room as opposed to somebody who's like run to social media and then you know right and then obviously there wasn't social media then but there were message boards and so i'm reading all of this shit about how i got fired and i was like i didn't get fired right but of course people are going well, you didn't get fired you're going to say you didn't get fired but you got fired yeah and then i couldn't say what really happened and i still fuck it's been 17 years i still haven't said it yeah so now i'm all in on radio mm-hmm. and 
because I'm lacking self-awareness and I'm, I'm sure it factored in, not sleeping, and I'm this wild, truly wild, uh, not wild like as far as my behavior goes, but wild on the radio guy, just an asshole. <laughs> yeah, my wife listened to the show and she goes, Wyatt, listen, I fucking hated you. <laughs> I go, God, I'm glad to hear it because I fucking hated me when I listened right, to it yeah. now. Confirmation. The time, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm so hypersensitive to it, people saying that I'm getting fired, that I got fired, mm-hmm. that I said, wait until I think it was February 15th, 2006, and then I will tell the story as to what happened. February 15th rolls around 2006. And I, I'm sure one could call it, and welcome to, obviously, there, I'm not really pulling any punches here. Uh, if I felt it, I would say it. Bitched out. But really what it got down to is deep down, I knew, and still to this day, no, Steve Savard is a great fucking guy. Right. And I'm not going to air dirty laundry you know, juice worth the squeeze situation. Hundred percent, and maybe that was a moment of maturity there. Well, it was actually because yeah. it certainly didn't fit the way I acted on the radio in 2004 and 2005. I think the maturity more came later when when Inside STL took ownership of it, and I had to sit on the other side of the desk. And now you see the playing field totally differently once you're the one writing the checks. But I had to eat shit on yeah. February 15th, 2006, because understandably the audience is like, I can't, I, mean, I have built up something that really in the whole scheme of things wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, it was a big deal to me, but I think the audience would have gone, fucking cares. Uh, and so I had to eat shit there, but now my non-competes up. And so I could go and do something else in television. I started doing some stuff with Martin on Channel 2, but I think Martin might have been expecting me to be more the guy on the morning grind and kind of stir it up. And when I got on TV, I went back to kind of TV, Tim. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this isn't that great. They're paying me nice. But I know it just was kind of like, it was, you can get much better knowledgeable people on like Randy Carrick or Bernie Miklas on. Why the fuck get me on and pay me? Uh, But... What happened during that time of my one-year non-compete from KMOV where I couldn't do TV, a couple of things happened. I'm, after a few months now, Jackson, can you imagine mm-hmm. you are at that, what age am I, 28, so four years from now, you're making, you know, mm-hmm. a, a nice amount of money, mm-hmm. and all you have to do is three hours, mm-hmm. and you can go home. Oh, my God. And that's the spot I was in. Oh, that sounds incredible. I know. And that's what you would think. And it was for the first few months. Uh, I was playing golf at the time. Uh-huh. I joined Norwood Country Club on a junior membership. Uh, this is getting better and yeah. better. I love Norwood. And I got it. I bet I wasn't even bra- I'm like, I'm getting pretty good. I still think I shot in the 90s. Yeah. You know, I'm like, right. what a, you know. Um, and I loved it for the first few months. And then, like, June rolled around, I go, I'm bored out of my fucking mind. Right. Like, it'd be one thing if, like, all my friends... Were in the same schedule. But they're not. Yeah, of course. And then I also was listening, I guess, to Jim Rome, and he had jimrome.com. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, if I'm not mistaken, you could go to jimrome.com and listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Segments that you missed. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, we got this popular show... I've got free time. I want to create themorninggrind.com mm-hmm. and take our show and put it up on 
themorninggrind.com in mm-hmm. segments because I'm bored out of my fucking mind and we got to capitalize on this. I think Rush Limbaugh was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so essentially that is how Inside STL was conceived. Mm-hmm. Matt Seebeck, who is now the chief experience officer for mm-hmm. the uh, MLS like franchise, STL City, a.k.a. The Dogs. Yeah. Great Twitter were, follower, by the way. Was a loyal TMA, well, Morning Grind listener. And I guess at the time you would call him a web developer. Yeah. And so what I needed was somebody to build the website. And so in June-ish, July-ish of 2005, Seebeck and I get together and eventually, he I can picture where I was when I saw InsideSTL.com for the first time, what he built. I, I remember buying the domain uh-huh. for $19.95 from GoDaddy.com. Uh-huh. And I remember in the moment that I bought it, part of me thought about keeping a diary of my experience with it. Just on the off chance it would turn into something. Uh-huh. That is a regret that I didn't do it. Uh-huh. I also would probably be so embarrassed by some of the things I thought then about running a business that I now know right. and that I didn't know then, but it might provide a, yeah. a guide for people yeah. to not do some of the dumb shit I did or to do some of the things I didn't know about doing. Um, and then also just to think, but this is what I did. So we started it. It went online on August 15th, 2005. And so what I did was, it was essentially podcasting. Yeah. So I would take, and I know people can't see what I'm, you, you have these headphone jacks in a radio station studio or a podcast studio. And I would take my Dell computer mm-hmm. and take a cord and connect it with the headphone jack, open up some software, might have been Adobe yeah. version, you know, some sort of BC, yeah. and... And record the segment into yeah, my saying. Dell yeah. and then upload it on InsideSTL.com. And in addition to that, at the time, I was also aware that you had like St. Louis Magazine and Alive Magazine and uh, and Ledoux News, mm-hmm. um, the most popular portions of those magazines, magazines, okay, not websites, magazines were the pictures of people out and about. Right. And, of course, everybody goes, oh, she's hot or he's good-looking or whatever. That's what you, that, that was the move. Uh-huh. And I thought, why don't we do that on a website? And then we wouldn't be limited to just, like, a handful of pictures. Right. And so I combined that with the morning grind, plus I wrote a column every day, and then Seebeck was involved, along with a guy named Josh Baycott, mm-hmm. with uh, Joe Sportsfan. Yeah. Okay, you know your stuff. Mm-hmm. And guess who Joe Sportsfan was involved with? Are you aware of this? This is going to be a holy fucking shit moment. No, I don't. Barstool. Oh, shit. Wow. Barstool in 2005. Yeah, well, so like that was just when like Portnoy was handing out newsletters. Yes, indeed. God, that's insane. Indeed. Holy shit. So that is how the whole thing came to pass. In 2000, at some point in 2005 or early 2006, and I don't know what happened first. Uh, oh, well, this is what, in 2005, this was the beginning of, this was probably the beginning of the end of the morning grind. And even though Joe would be killed, yeah, Martin would quit, the cat would be killed, and I would quit, this was a moment where I go, oh, fuck. Yeah. I had left KMOV, uh-huh. and the guys who owned KFNS were super grateful that I chose radio over 
television. Now, contractually, I don't know what my position was legally because I don't have, you know, didn't have what I have now where, you know, you have somebody reviewing every line of a contract. I did not do that. I'm like, oh, you're going to pay me this? Sure, I'll sign. Like most dumb shits who start out in the business. There's a lesson for you or anybody else ever listening to this uh, to have an attorney, at the very least, a deter- I, mean, I know it sounds so fucking basic, but oh my God. Because you're just so happy to get a job, right. usually in broadcasting. You'll sign anything. Oh, God, you can fuck yourself so badly that way. And I maybe had an attorney review it. Maybe I didn't. But either way, so I leave KMOV. The Ram season rolls around. This is also right around the time I start Inside STL because it's August 2005. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe Barrett was there yet. No, it wasn't. But the, the colonel mm-hmm. goes... Uh, Hey, we're going to have you do a, a, a Rams uh, post-game show on Sundays. And I go, eh, I'm not really interested. Same <laughs> same approach that I have now in 2022. Yeah, is now, I'm, nah. I'm, I'm good, thanks, as Chris Pronger <laughs> would say when we'd ask him to come on the show. <laughs> no, nah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, like, no. Nah. And I, and he goes, no, nah, we really want you to do it. We think it would be good for the station to have a morning uh, drive talent on the uh, – that's not something I really want to do. And he goes, well, you got to do it. And I go, my contract says, of course, I really don't know because I'm younger and uh, didn't know. Contract says uh, if you're not doing TV, you do have to do a show on the weekends. And since you left TV now, uh, you do have to do stuff on the weekends for us. And I go, oh, you motherfuckers. (laughs) So you wanted me to leave. I remember them like, they wrote like, give me a card or something like that, thanking me for choosing radio over television. And now... There's a loophole, yeah, and they're gonna fuck me, yeah, you know, and they're gonna fuck me on something that in the whole it's a Sunday afternoon show. I mean, in the whole scheme of things, and I'm like, okay, this is what we got now. Now I know what we got, and that sets a tone. Once you do that yeah. shit, you yeah, know, it does, and uh, you don't forget because you know they're willing to do it, mm-hmm. and and so it began, yeah, <laughs> uh, and so I do it, you know. The Rams in 2005, not good. No. Uh, they weren't as bad as it became, but it wasn't good. It was kind Steven of beginning Jackson. in. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and I was not happy about the experience. And so I remember I had told my television agent, uh, hey, I got to, you know, I think it might be time to start looking for mm-hmm. TV opportunities. And that's how the Denver thing happened. Mm-hmm. Fox sports, baseball across America. And what was Fox sports, Rocky mountain. I think it's root sports now in Denver. I could be wrong with the Rockies play. And I got that job offer. Um, and again, just looking back on it, just going, what in the fuck was I doing? Uh, as opposed to saying, Hey, can I leave? Uh, I said, well, I'm going to leave. Yeah. And, uh, I just remember the GM going, well, you know, just s- submit your letter of resignation. Then our attorneys will respond. It was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a live golf PGA <laughs> tour. Like who's going to fire the first shot on the litigation <laughs> thing. And I'm playing, you know, I mean, now if this situation were going on now, th- there'd be so many people involved. I would, I'd be like 10th in line on what would ha- wind up happening. But now it's just me out there at like 28 <laughs> fucking up my own shit. Uh, and I decide, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in the tank forever as to what to do. And I decide not to take it. Mm-hmm. My agent's beside himself. 
TV agents beside himself because he, you know, he gets me this opportunity. I go out there, I meet with him, they make the offer. It's nice money. I mean, it's not like it's going to be a multimillionaire, but it's nice. I would have been working with Chris Thompson, who's mm-hmm. now on, you know, yeah. Fox NFL and yep. whatever. Uh, I also, once I turned it down, stopped taking Propecia. So there's another pro tip from today's podcast: don't stop taking Propecia if you're if you have started or keeps or whatever the hell this stuff is. Have you started yet, by the way? No, not yet. Okay, yeah, don't stop once you start. No, that's the problem. And. Uh, and so that kind of causes tension all along. They are now pissed off that I am running their content on InsideSTL.com, mm-hmm. which with the benefit of hindsight, I was going to call the morninggrind.com. Oh, God. Thank God I didn't yeah. do that. Yeah, because they own that. A hundred percent. And again, I didn't know. Right. Of course they owned it. I didn't damn right they did. <laughs> they owned the content, they, Yeah, too. fuck yeah. <laughs> and so... They're now pissed about that. They're pissed about the fact that I'm like, I'm leaving, you know, yeah, you right. pay me more, but I'm leaving. You know, I'm going to go to Denver. Then I don't. Um, you know, one of the greatest things one of my advisors has told me, you never pull out the gun unless you're willing to pull the trigger, yep. you know? Yep. And so, you know, that is fucked up. And then something happens with the cat. Now, I don't recall exactly what it was. So now we're in July of 2006. They're not allowing me to say InsideSTL.com on the air anymore. Okay. So I had to call it BlippityBlah.com, <laughs> which was a total ripoff of what Howard Stern was doing because whatever, I think he was at K-Rock. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he was in New York City. I don't know. And they wouldn't let him say he was going to Sirius. So he would say, when I go to you know, <laughs> yeah, in October, right, right. so I, of course, ripped that off with BlippityBlah.com. Because they wouldn't let me say inside of, but I believe I was still recording and putting up the <laughs> segments, which in hindsight, I can't, like, if you're going to shut something down, shut that down. Yeah. And I yeah, don't know why they, that, I mean, that's a huge thing. But and they I, probably didn't think anything of it back then. But it helped grow the show that people right. could listen to it whenever they wanted, i.e. podcasting. Yeah. It was podcasting before there was podcasting. Yeah. It truly was. Now, I didn't obviously invent podcasting, and I wasn't calling it podcasting, but people could go and listen to the show via InsideSTL.com, and then people... We're finding out about InsideSTL.com because our photographers would go out to bars mm-hmm. and hand them the cards, and then they would go and look at the pictures of people to see if they were on there, kind of like you with your Ledoux basketball highlights, yeah. and then also to see who looks good Yeah, because sure. there wasn't Facebook, social media. Yeah. There was MySpace, but it wasn't at, at the level you know, yeah. of what, what you have now. Yeah, you know? because you had to like, dial up internet to even access Right. Like so it just was a different, different deal. And so I'm still able to. I mean, I look back on. I can't believe they didn't tell me to fuck off with that. And they would have. And if I would have tried to do something legally, I'm sure I would have been an interesting position. Like, yeah, you're taking our content and putting it on your site. Fuck off. You can't do it. We're going to fire you. You know, here's a cease and desist. So you have that going on, and then something is going on. Somehow we got word, and I don't know how, that they wanted the cat out. Hmm. Things weren't going well from a sales standpoint. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's why moves, not necessarily with our show, but uh, because the show was doing well. But overall, they were having problems. And I had to sign an extension or something like that in July of 2006. And I remember getting some kind of advice, and I don't remember who it was from. And I remember me, Martin, and the cat meeting, and probably producer Joe was there too, like, a, like an Einstein's in Clayton on a mm-hmm. Sunday morning. And it's like, if we're going to win, we got to stick together. Mm-hmm. We got to stick together because otherwise, and it was clear that the person they were, we believed they were trying to get rid of was the cat. Mm-hmm. And I remember the thought process was the moment I would sign my extension. Yeah, that would make sense if it were July because I signed in July of 04. Yeah, this all makes sense. 
uh, that they were going to whack him then. Mm-hmm. And I remember the GM going, okay, well, all you need to do is sign your extension. And I said, I don't think that's the case. And he goes, well, you need to see it, sign it. And I said, well, according to my attorney, I don't. And I remember the look on his face being like, holy shit. Yeah. He knows he doesn't have to, and now I don't have a card left to play right. because he's not going to sign it. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, and I don't recall the exact set of circumstances, it forced them to give the cat a deal because I wasn't going to sign unless they did. Mm-hmm. And so began 15 years of the cat being yeah. you know, in right. the crosshairs, and we were able to overcome that one. But they didn't forget. Mm-hmm. So the cat does whatever it is that he does, gets whatever it gets that he gets. So now we're into August, September of 2006. The show is, you know, it's it's not what the morning after is now from a standpoint of popularity, but it's definitely got a following. Yeah. Now, Joe is a key part of the show. The way Doug, for a period of time, was the focal point of emails the way Iggy is now the focal point of emails, the original focal point of the email of the day contest was producer Joe. Right. And insinuating that he was not a straight gentleman. Right. And so Joe was a key part of the show. Yeah. Stedman was a huge part of the show as far as board operator goes. I don't know what ability he had, but he was somehow, he traveled like 30 seconds in front of the, in the future to know what we were going to yeah, say. Clairvoyance is what Perfect draft. Yeah. A drop, I should say. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. But he didn't talk. <laughs> it truly was a Fred Norris thing. Yeah. You know, it, right. I was just like, was this like guy is a god with these drops. Yeah. But he doesn't talk. And he, of course, therefore, obviously, it doesn't cause any shit because yeah. he didn't talk. But I just go, this guy's unbelievable, you yeah. know? And it's not like, I don't even know if he really enjoyed the show. <laughs> he just, I, <laughs> he think just he, I think he did. He, just he was really so good. Though. Yeah, he was so good. And then you have Joe behind the scenes uh, producing, but he was a character on the show. So right. you'd bring the, the the board operator and the and the producer in. You get a little angry, probably Joe. He would, and this is how producer Joe's run ended. <laughs> <laughs> they had us doing a remote from the McDonald's across from Rams Park. Which is such a great sentence. <laughs> doing the remote from inside the McDonald's. Across from Rams Park. In City. And he and they, they created these sh- shirts that all three of us were like, they clearly hate us. And we knew they did. Um, Because we didn't think being on the radio was as cool as they did. I remember the GM would always go to Harry's, you know, always wear a 590 The Fan golf shirt to let the ladies know he worked at 590 The Fan. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Uh, You know, and like, if we didn't wear a 590 The Fan, what, are you ashamed of it? And it's just like, no, I'm just, I just want to be like a guy. Yeah, I just have a beer here and relax. mighty. And on top of it, honestly, nobody fucking cares. Right. They're here to try to bang the Rams or Cardinals or Blues. Right. Not a guy doing talk radio if on I stick AM around station. long enough then maybe I can get some Jesus Mary and Joseph yeah. so they didn't like us even though the show was you know bringing in money and uh, just because we weren't we were the TV guys and I guess they thought we thought we were better because we weren't TV even though you know yeah. didn't and I was no longer a TV guy mm-hmm. so they make these shirts where they highlight my lopsided head they highlight the cats you know whatever and, yeah. and make, make Martin look like Jay Leno which he doesn't look like at all. It was like a, like a carnival character. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've seen the picture. And you can, I think I still have one, or Iggy might have, I don't know. I've seen, Iggy there's a picture one. of it. And oh, it's my God. brutally bad. It looks like none of you. And so 
Joe gets like 10 of them to give out at the <laughs> Earth City McDonald's. And within the half hour, they're gone. Yeah. Now, this set producer Joe off. He's he's furious about it. And I just, I, I think, and I don't know. I mean, I can certainly picture me, Martin, the cat, pouring gasoline on the fire. Because at this point, we are not happy at yeah. the place. I'm not happy going back to them, you know, using the loophole to have me do Ram shows, uh, the InsideSTL.com thing, right. the cat extension thing, or my extension. Right, they tried playing some dirty Oh, shit. yeah, 100%. And we knew what, we knew what they were. I mean, yeah. and, they, and we knew they were struggling. Now I've operated stations, so I would have had a much better grasp on it than yeah. I did then. And, uh, and so Joe, so I'm sure I can just picture it, uh, you know, that kind of like how my belief is, uh, the Plowhawk, the cat and gangster Pete and Iggy, although Iggy says he wasn't a part of it before me and Doug would get to the studio at KFNS within the last couple of years, like would, you know, feed off of anger off of each other. Kind of like, like if you're in a group text and you just create your own reality, I could see me, Joe, Martin, and the cat being like, fuck these guys, fuck these guys. But me, well, probably Martin and the cat way more so than me, and then me more so than Joe, recognizing that we can say it in our own little safe area, but we can't say it to them. Uh Joe goes back to the studio in Webster Groves, and now he has had, I believe, a different version of it. I don't know if he told the general manager to fuck off. But something happened because he was so pissed off that we didn't have enough shirts that he was fired for whatever he said for insubordination. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were all like, you got to be fucking kidding me. This show has such momentum and you just took out one of us and you didn't even talk with us about it. Right. You know, it's one thing to like give him a warning shot. Yeah. But, you know, and I get it. Listen, maybe suspending, you can't tell your yeah. your boss to fuck off. I mean, I don't care, you know, and it's not like, you know, you just can't do that. No. But I think Joe's version of it is a, there's some more detail. So I do want to leave that open. I don't know if Joe will ever listen to this, but I feel like we talked about it before. And so Joe is in a spot now where he needs a job. And we're in a spot where we're like, they just they just took out one of our guys. Yeah, right. This is bad news. They bring in a guy who's a super nice guy by the name of Dan Hyatt, Mm -hmm. but he's not our guy. And we got the sense. Now Barrett's in there. Mm. Now Barrett isn't talking. For whatever reason, when he started there, you know, his way of explaining is he just wanted to take everything in as if this were like some kind Mm -hmm. of, you know, Vince Lombardi (laughs) play uh, and just observe. Uh but we are, we were like, okay, this guy is their guy, and yeah. he's, like, narking on us. So Joe gets whacked in August or September of 06. The Cardinals get into the playoffs. We're pissed off that our guy's gone, mm-hmm. and they just did it, even though we know our show has momentum. And then we all three go up to New York for the Cardinals and Mets in the NLCS. And the TV stations, I'm not having to do TV, put Martin and the cat up in Queens near Shea Stadium. Sure. Um, me, being fucking crazy, did not want to stay in Queens. I mean, Martin was staying at a Comfort Inn in Queens. And there's a Comfort Inn in Queens. Yeah, no good. Oh, I remember going there because we did our show from his room one day. <laughs> me being fucking crazy, I get my own hotel in Manhattan. Yeah. Dead serious. It mm-hmm. wasn't like it was super nice, but I'm just like, I'm not staying. Yeah. I mean, that's what a just fucking nut. I look back on this shit. 
So then when we do the show at Martin's in, in Hotel in Queens, you know, I don't know how many people listening have ever traveled from Manhattan to Queens to go to a show at that, that time of day. Not easy. That's what I, that's what I did. You, I mean, you're probably going the opposite direction of traffic yeah. at that time. But yeah. either way, I go out there and do the show. The next day, I think this was after game one of that NLCS, Cardinals lose. I think Tom Glavin might have pitched. Yep. Oh, you knew that? Mm-hmm. Wow, look at you. Yeah, Glavin pitched first. Uh, and they had us do the show from CBS Studios, which were on the west side of Manhattan. Okay. So the total opposite for yeah. those guys coming from Queens, Literally, which is out there. Further, yes. Yeah. I mean, as far as you're going to stay in New York City and not yeah. go into Jersey. That, I mean, you could absolutely see Jersey from these studios. I've done live shots from the top of that building. And uh, so, you know, I get up. I'm, I'm, I just watched the, I didn't go to Shea Stadium. I'm like, Fuck it, I'll watch it on TV. Yeah, they sure. lose, sucks. I get up. We got Eastern time. I'd have gotten up at 7.30 for all I know. Took a yeah. cab over to CBS on the, the west side of Manhattan and uh, and do the show. Martin and the Cat were at Shea Stadium. They're doing post game. Uh-huh. They're getting interviews. Martin probably had to do stuff for Channel 2 Live, I yeah. guess, for NLCS, which was on the same station. And they're both like, we can't, we got to do TV. The TV stations were paying for their time to be there. Right, right. But the radio station wanted them to do a full show. And I get where they're coming from on that. Now, it's probably something that should have been worked out in advance, but okay. you don't know. I mean, it's not like these things are set up weeks in advance. You don't know. And so they decide that they were going to leave early from the show. They did not talk with management about it. And then I, I think I did the final hour with Chris Domino, super talented guy, good guy, who was doing middays on 590, but was more known as an Atlanta talk host. And mm-hmm. he was doing it remotely, so you could work remotely, even back in 2006, from Atlanta. He was doing this show um, into, into St. Louis, middays. And he mm-hmm. was good, man. He was good. I've talked with him, you know, relatively recently. Talented guy. So they got Domino on with me. And Domino might have come into the studio. He might have been covering the series uh, but I know he would do his show from either the studios in Atlanta or his house in Atlanta back in 2006 on KFNS. So anyway, that's a Friday morning, and Martin and the Cat just decide that they aren't going to do the full show. Mm-hmm. Jason Barrett, who we didn't really know that well at the time, sends an email. So help me. Again, sounds weird. But I recall, and I guess I almost had like a BlackBerry. I don't know how to tag have email on my phone in 2006. But or maybe I would just. But how would I have wireless in 2006? Oh yeah. I don't know. But I remember reading the email. You know, you're going Times Square runs north south. Yeah. And I'm going, you know, from west to east where I was staying in Manhattan. And I'm reading the email as we're going across Times Square, and I go, this is the end of the morning grind because I know Martin's personality well enough, and it's a long email from Barrett basically challenging their work ethic, Martin and the cat, uh, and uh, without motherfucking him, motherfucking him. And I thought this is going to be, I know Martin, and he is not going to put up with this. He, I think he was already kind of teetering on the brink with staying up late and getting up that early with TV as it was. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to put up with this. And, uh, and so we get back to St. Louis The series is back in St. Louis. We do the show and I don't know who called the meeting. I think Barrett called the meeting on Monday or Tuesday morning following the morning grind. They keep calling one calling it TMA, the morning grind. 
And it's me, the cat, Martin, our producer, Dan Hyatt, and Barrett in this, because KFNS's offices and studio used to be in a bank vault, in a bank. Mm. And so the conference room was in the vault. Oh, wow. And, and so, cool. so you, it's pretty soundproof right. because it's a vault. <laughs> it's a vault. And I just remember that whole day, Martin was really quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't because he was going into Ask Tony mode. He was going into... He was furious. Right. And I knew, you know, and I guess if you didn't know, you'd go, man, is he mad at me? Is he mad at the cat? You know, you didn't know. So Joe's gone. Dan Hyatt's in. Nothing against Dan. Uh, but we already felt like they were fucking with our show and obviously the things that had happened the year leading into it. Yeah. So Barrett starts talking. You know, there isn't a whole lot of respect <laughs> from either, either yeah. side. And... You know, I think the cat might have, you know, said something political or I might have said something political, you know. And Martin explodes. Mm. I am telling you. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't realize growing up that everyone didn't have what me and my brothers and my sisters, 13 years younger than me. So she probably didn't experience what me and my brothers experienced with my dad. And he would rage. Now, it wasn't like a goodwill hunting thing where he's right. beating us. That never, ever happened. But he would get fired up. And anybody who ever worked for him knows he got fired up. Right. It's one of the reasons why they were successful. Uh-huh. He'd get fired up. He'd turn red, and he would go. Yeah. And Martin turned red, and so helped me. I thought he was, and it's me, the cat, and Dan Hyatt, none of whom are big guys. Right. Uh, and I thought one of us was going to like have to stand in the middle between Martin and Barrett. Because he was ready to go. He was so fucking pissed off yeah. at Barrett. And Barrett's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and Martin just eventually walks out. And I remember calling him. Now I can picture him like by Missouri Baptist. And I go, are you like done, done? I just, I guess maybe I just need time whenever the Cardinals are done. But I just, I can't put up with that guy. Yeah. I can't put up with that place. And... You know, I can't, I can't, I just can't, I, I, plus it's wearing me out with the schedule. Yeah. They fired Joe. It was a bunch of things. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, as they would say. And he never came back. Yeah. And I remember the cat, and, and when I say it bothered me, it, it's not like I have a problem or had a problem with the cat because of it, but I remember th- disagreeing with him. Mm-hmm. He goes, Martin's gone. That's the show. Right. And I'm like, Martin's super talented, but that isn't the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Just like the inevitable conversation I will be having with the audience when Doug retires, mm-hmm. which, you know, will be, well, the show's fucking over. Right. You know, and I, I can already tell it. Whenever that time comes, I already know that that's coming because I've lived through it again. I've mm-hmm. lived through a bunch of the show is over, and yet here we are 18 right. years later. So, you know. Get ready. Um, and I, I'm, and the cat's like, oh, that's the end of the show. And I'm going, eh, I don't think so. So Barrett goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to have guys coming in, audition, and you're shaking your head because you know how it ends. Oh, yeah, yeah. BF. I remember all of my life, Jackson, for real, from the moment I can remember when the Cardinals won the World Series in 1982, Everything for me as a sports fan was geared toward seeing the Cardinals win a World Series again. Uh-huh. And it took 24 years. Right. That is probably why I'm not as into it now. 
is if, if they would have not won a World Series between right. now and then, I think I'd be way more into it. Right. I've, I've been lucky enough to see twice in a bunch of postseasons, and it just doesn't affect me like it used to. Mm-hmm. But holy shit. And I remember the first show back without Martin, where it was clear he wasn't going to be part of it. Now, he wasn't on for a week because that all happened during the NLCS. I was so depressed. The Cardinals won the World Series against the Tigers on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. That Sunday, I had to do a fucking Rams postgame show cool. while the Cardinals were having their World Series parade. Great, yeah. Shrewd, shrewd programming. Same thing happened in 2011. Yep, they beat the Saints. Yep. It was an upset. Uh, this time they got stomped by the Chargers. Why I can remember these things, I don't have an answer. <laughs> I remember being at the Dubliner. Uh, that's where we would do the show. And I remember that night, I'm lying on the bed with my wife, and I go, I don't know what's going on, but I am depressed. I was depressed. Uh-huh. I was. This isn't a metaphorical. I was depressed, and uh-huh. I couldn't figure it out. But I think I had experienced this high that I had been chasing. I was at the stag bar that morning until the sun came out uh-huh. uh, with prominent members of the team uh-huh. who won. Uh, it was a big night at the stag bar, also with members of the Boston Bruins, which I don't, you know, it's not like it was Marshawn or anything like that, yeah. but... You know, I did, for whatever reason, uh, I think you could probably look it up and see the Blues were playing the Bruins around that time in 2006, or maybe it was the Ducks. I don't know. Point being, there, I remember there were guys in the NHL. I didn't know who they were. I'm all fucked. I'm like, this is the greatest fucking thing ever. And I'm like, I got to go back to work tomorrow. The Cardinals won the World Series, and I'm depressed. But I'm depressed maybe because the, I don't know I've experienced it, but now the show I love doing and I left TV for is kind of no more. Yeah, crumbling. Holy shit. And so the audition process began. And in the audition process, we must have brought in close to 20 people. Mm-hmm. And the cat and I truly believed that over November and December, we were auditioning people. No bullshit. It's not revisionist history. It's not results-oriented. The best person who came in was Doug. Yeah. Which, of course, made people listening my uncle. Well, of course. But we didn't know it. I knew how funny Doug was from working with him at KMOV. Uh-huh. But the public didn't because Doug doesn't act on television how or didn't act on television how he did behind the scenes at KMOV. Mm-hmm. And his sense of humor wasn't something that the audience was aware of. He was just a TV guy. Right. And, you, you know, as I said, you can't really color outside the lines on TV. So we do th- this process of the auditions is beyond painful. Right. Because you're doing a, different, a show. Different, with different show. And it's a totally different thing. Yeah. And you go from something that you loved doing that was so easy yeah. and popular to now not only you're not enjoying it, but the audience is like, this fucking sucks. Right. The show's dead. Yeah. There's no Martin. The show's dead. And, and I always said, taking it, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. Is the juice worth the squeeze? That's from the girl. Have you still watched the, the, have you not watched the girl next door? God almighty. Uh, I, although I'm portraying it like it's the godfather, <laughs> you know. It's a fucking porn-based teen comedy from 2004. <laughs> and then also the three legs of the tripod. Uh, that's a, that's another theme. And a tripod, if one leg falls, yeah, right, the tripod right. falls. And I always had a feeling that Martin might be the first one to leave. Mm-hmm. But my belief was we could still have a successful show, even though I sit here and I say Martin's just sick talent. I still say it's just absurdly talented. Um but I thought we still could have a good show, 
But now the audience is pissed because he's not there, and we're and we know we're not doing a good show because it's a new person every other day. And so I just can't wait for it to come to an end, and can't wait to meet with Barrett. And then I thought, mistakenly, <laughs> that we would get together and decide on who we both thought was the best person to become the new co-host. I think like December 15th of 2006 was the final show in 2006 for the morning grind. I had uh, part of my sleep problem was to get, I had a deviated septum. Ah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Oh. And so I got that tended to. Uh, like the surgery. Yeah, septoplasty, that. I believe yep. is what it's called. Now my first body time got that. Yeah. Oh. That was the first step in getting my sleep right. If anybody's mm-hmm. having sleep problems, I would look into it. And that was a bitch of a, a recovery. Yeah, I bet. And then the, the the calendar switches to 2007, and I remember I think probably before Christmas, Barry said, "Hey, we're going to get together on January 3rd and have dinner and talk about, uh, you know, who we're going to go with for, you know, the yeah. new spot that has been vacated by Martin Lee." Sure, sure. I remember having a meeting with the Blues that day, and somebody asking about it and telling them, like, "Yeah, I, we're going to have dinner tonight at Jay Bucks and Clayton, um, which is now Capital Grill, if I'm not mistaken." Mm, okay. And uh, we're going to discuss it. In my mind, it's going to be, we're going to have a back-and-forth discussion about it, unless we both totally agree. And in my mind, it was either Doug or Chris Pelican. Ah. That's, to me, that's who the obvious, and that's where the cat was, too. Obviously, the cat and I discussed it. I go into this meeting, I can't wait, because I'm glad that the fucking audition process yeah, is over, sir. and I'm excited. I'm like, okay, we can start a new era, even though I know it's going to be tough to replace somebody as great as Martin. And Barrett says... Here's what we're doing. The cat's out. And I'm just like, I'm just like, right right away, it's like, you know. Yeah, you're starting out. And we're bringing in a guy named Bob Fesco. And I'm going, I mean, I just got hit with a left and a right. And I don't know, this happened, I I don't know if the booth is still there since a different wrist right now, but I can know exactly where we were. And so help me, as dumb as it sounds, and again, I know it sounds insane, at that moment, I pictured a tombstone and KFNS. I know that sounds crazy, but that's where my mind went. Like, these guys just buried themselves. Yeah. They are so fucked. Yeah. Not because I was going to do it. And I guess indirectly, we played a role in it. They were already going to sink anyway. Not mm-hmm. like the man and woman, which was never going to float. This thing floated and then was sinking. But th- they were done. And I'm sitting there going... Who's Bob Fesco? Nothing against Bob Fesco, but who's Bob Fesco? Right. You're going to love him. He goes by the Bulldog, and he's in Kansas City, and and I'm going, but I've, I've never met him. Right. Our show's success is based on chemistry. Yeah. And what the fuck with the cat? <laughs> yeah. He had just been a it's good a soldier here yeah. for the last couple months while Martin was out. He goes, well, I'm going to talk to him after tomorrow's show. And let him know. And I go, so you want me to go in and do a show with him? Uh-huh. Act like everything's cool and know that you're going to whack him right afterwards? And he goes, wow, well, yeah. And I go, so Jason, I said, he either finds out from you tonight or he finds out from me tonight. But I'm not going to sit across from Jim Hayes and act like everything's cool. Yeah. Knowing you're going to whack him afterwards. Because I knew, I think Aaron, his wife, was pregnant. I think Tyler was born in 2007, if I'm not mistaken, and she had just left KSDK. Mm-hmm. So you had two things going. Yeah, right. That are significant family elements that, again, the public's not aware of, but I knew about. So, you know, whether I was friends with him or not, and I was, 
I'm not gonna. That's just that's just a yeah. human thing. Right. And I said, I said, by the way, and even though I wasn't as sophisticated with the shit as I am now, not to say I'm super sophisticated, but I certainly wasn't then. I'm like, and he has a contract. I go, well, he has an offer sheet. And I go, okay, but I mean, he's, he's yeah, he signed it. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. Uh, well, that led to the free bathroom. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I remember going home from it. I can picture walking up and down the street I lived on. God, was I lived on Westwood in, in Clayton. Okay. That's where my condo was. And I'm like, I'm like getting emotional. Yeah. Like I'm not like weeping. Right. But I'm on the phone with the cat, and he's more calm about it than I am. And I'm like, these motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, they did this, they did this, they did this, and now they did this, and they're destroying this fucking thing. And I don't even know who this guy is. And now they're whacking you. He goes, Well, I have a contract, so I'm going to show up tomorrow, and I'm going to show. I have, you know, I know I have a contract. Uh. And I'm beside myself. Yeah. So I remember they didn't have us do the show the next day. Uh-huh. The cat did find out he was getting fired from me. Uh-huh. I had to tell Jim Hayes he was getting fired. Uh-huh. That happened, yeah. uh, and uh, in a matter of four months, we went from producer Joe, Martin Kilcoin, Jim Hayes, and myself to me and Bob Fesco. Yep. There's the show. Mm-mm-mm. And within a few days, I remember meeting Bob. You know, I think it gets mocked now here because right. of you know what this has become and all of that. And I'll say it again, and I, I was—I heard Bob on with Jason Barrett on Barrett's podcast, which I guess he's really wanting to leave the audience wanting more because he hasn't done one in a while, I don't think. In three or four years. Right. Uh, but, you know, they're kind of like, you know, they spoke about me like, well, somebody didn't want the show to work, which is just, it's so, it's such bullshit. It's such, it's just, a, it's an absolute blatant lie. Yeah. I was disappointed my guys were out, uh-huh. two being whacked and one essentially pushed to the brink of, you know, where yeah. he just had to leave. Yeah. But I was under contract through the following September. So this is January of 2007. This is September 2008 for a nice amount of money. This is my job. I don't yep. have a television job. This sure. is my job. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work. I just op- operated on the premise that whoever you put in there, we're going to be able to do what we had done. I remember meeting Bob for the first time at First Watch in Clayton. Jason, me, and Bob. Seemed like a completely likable guy. Now, obviously, he's not Martin Kilcoin or Jim Hayes, just from a personality standpoint. Also, I don't know him. So it's not Bob Fesco's fault, even though I guess he may have some you know, animosity towards me. Maybe, I don't even know. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's been 15 years, and I think he's done well for himself. So in the whole scheme of things, it's just I remember walking out of Jay Bucks that night. I can picture it again, you know. I know it might sound fucking nuts that I can picture these things. And Barrett goes, I hope this works out because if it doesn't, it's my ass. I remember that. And so the way that he handled it to protect himself was he was he blamed me when it didn't work out. So I was the one savage. I'm under contract. I want the th- – what else am I going to fucking do? So it, it, I remember the first – I don't even know, man – minute and they, they still called it the morning grind and i remember saying to jason i go you can't call it the morning grind three of the four guys who made the morning grind are gone mm-hmm. and he goes i still have kurt cobain so i still have nirvana and i go yeah and i think that might have been a quote from in the newspaper and i'm just like yeah that didn't that, that didn't it brother yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. and, and i you know that isn't it. You know, this is more of a, I don't know what analogy you'd want to make to a band, but, you know, I wasn't Cobain. No. I, there, I don't think there was a Cobain. You know, that's the thing. They're kind of all equal parts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was clear 
within dead serious. And again, it's not it's not a shot at Bob. Put me with you know, take your pick of whomever, who does a great show, by the way, in St. Louis. If you're used to the fast-paced, self-deprecation, roast style of TMA or the morning grind, and now you got somebody who's more of a sports-based host, it's going to be a significant change. Yeah. And it just was so clear that what Bob was and what I was weren't going to mesh. And so Bob was running point when we started, and it was so clear it wasn't working. Stake Shapiro, I remember, came to town, and as opposed to going, fuck this, I want nothing to do with it, I remember meeting with him Mm -hmm. and saying, this isn't working. He goes, oh, you just want your guys back. I go, it's not that. I go, it's not working. I'm just telling you it isn't working, but I'm... What am I? I'm not. I'm 30, and he's whatever he is, and he looks down on me, and that's fine. Yeah. And I said, "How about this? Maybe it'll be better if I if I run point, which I right. probably didn't call running point. If I bring it in and out of breaks, uh-huh. you know, because it's clearly not working. And it's not that people didn't like Bob because he was Bob. People didn't like Bob because he wasn't Martin or the Cat exactly. or producer yeah. Joe. Yeah. So whoever was in that spot was fucked. And then the show just was totally different. I remember, like, our, all we had was American Idol talk. Can you even imagine us talking about American Idol? I mean, but like, that's what we had. Yeah. And it was such a, it was so bad and so miserable. And so then began the process when it was clear. So I did that. I didn't go, hey, now I'm the point guy, so pay me more. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not asking for any more. I'll just do it just because I, so if I was really, like, trying to fuck it up, why would I volunteer to do that? I mean, I I know deep down they know I wasn't trying to, but maybe it's the way. That, and again, it's 15 years. Who gives a shit? But uh, so then they began the process of now they know it's not going to work. So I'm under contract for another 20-ish months. So what do they do? They try to get to me to quit. That was what they tried to get. That's what they tried to do. Mm-hmm. And, and so beginning in March, and I remember going to the general manager, Evan Crocker, and offering to buy the time of 7 to 10 and basically what I wound up doing at 1380, what I didn't buy it, it was just handed to me, but I also had to pay everybody's salaries, uh, that I would buy the time. Like, I was talking about giving them an absurd amount of money. Mm-hmm. I mean, absurd amount of money. I don't even, with the benefit of hindsight, I have no idea where I thought I was getting the money from, but I remember the number, and the number was big, 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 big. But more than the radio station's worth now is what I was looking to give them uh, just for those three hours. And then me, Martin, the cat, and producer Joe would come back and we would, you know, sell our own advertising and they wouldn't have to pay us. And he considered it. And I said, otherwise, I might just have to quit. And that opened their eyes that, oh, he's on the verge of quitting. Let's get him to quit. And so began the process of Barrett trying to get me to quit. Mm -hmm. And so it was in my contract, again, Mark, and by Mark, I mean unsophisticated, that I could work from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. But the show was 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. So what does he do? He starts it at 6 a.m. now. Mm-hmm. That's an effort to get me to quit. Yep. And so the whole goal was to get me to lose my shit over it and then say I was insubordinate. So mm-hmm. I know that. I guess this is where I'm starting to play poker because now I know what my opponent wants me to right. do. So right. now I'm not. So what you do is you don't do what your opponent wants you to do. Well, that's fine. They knew there was somebody in the market who I was really not a fan of and was not a fan of me. And so they put this person in there or they were going to put this person in there to try to piss me off to get me to quit. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Look forward to working with them. Yep. Just, it just had to be that way uh, with not engaging in what they were trying to do. 
which was get me to quit. And I go to my agent again with regards to television. I go, and it's almost like the Little Rock situation in 1999, 2000. I go, I just need to get out of here. So I don't care. I know you're pissed off that I didn't take the Denver thing in 2006, but I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I can't take it. I was without question from that night in October of 2006 to June of 2007, absolutely depressed. Probably it's, it's, it's may, may sound like a cop out, but I would say it played a role in my divorce. Um, it, it, to be clear, my divorce is me 100%, but it set a tone of, I can be destroyed mentally and emotionally by my career. And I was, you know, you see, if you do watch the offer, it seems like everybody in the show wants to get divorced and it's because they were so committed to making that movie. And I was so committed to not letting these guys beat me. There was no way they were going there. And they just, they, and maybe they knew it. Now they know it. Uh, there was no way there. They couldn't do anything. They could have said, we'll start at three in the morning. All right, see you then. Yeah. There's just no way. Cause fuck them. And I told my agent, I said, anything, I don't give a fuck where I'll go and I'll do it. And so he goes, how do you feel about New York? And I, well, I wasn't, I, mean, I was, I was thinking you might like get me to, yeah. you know, Phoenix, which would be great. <laughs> New York, what the fuck's in New York? And he goes, SNY is looking for an anchor for their Geico sports night, which is like sports center following Mets games. And I'm like, oh my God, holy shit. And they sent my stuff up there, my reel. Uh, Joe Buck called on my behalf. Alan Cohen, who was mentioned earlier in the story, mm-hmm. called on my behalf, which really said something. And I feel like somebody else uh, called on my behalf. Kurt Gowdy Jr. is the person who is hiring. They fly me up there to audition. For whatever reason, I don't know how this happened, but somehow I heard the day of my audition that it paid a number that was so low in my mind uh, that I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to take this. But I guess I'll go up there and do it because Joe called on my behalf. And I remember going into the newsroom at SNY, and I'm trying to think of some of the people who uh, worked there who you would know. Um, but I, I think I mentioned a podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I remember. Um, but either way, you know, some people who have gone on to to work in – Sports casting, Chris Cotter, uh, God, the guy, I think, I think it was Damon Hack, I think, uh, maybe the golf champion, like uh, Brian Custer, Julie Donaldson, they were all in that newsroom. Now they're all, relatively speaking at the time, we're in our 20s or 30s. And I go up, because I'm thinking it pays this, when it came time to audition, and I walk out there on that set, and I had no idea because I was in the newsroom writing scripts, and I'm writing scripts for you know, the Nets, who I think were in the, you know, maybe they had been, I don't know. I don't know. Vince what's going Carter, on. Jason Kidd. Yeah. Richard Jefferson. Yeah. So, I mean, they were a topic and the Jets were getting ready for camp, you know, because it's May, June of 07. And I'm going, God, I hate this shit. This is a reminder of why I left Cam OB. I hate this shit. Uh-huh. But Joe, in particular, he called on my behalf. I can't walk in and tell uh, Kurt Gowdy Jr., that I don't want it. So I'll do it and I'll just, then I'll type out my scripts and I'll go out there and audition. And I remember walking out to the set and the set was on Fifth Avenue mm-hmm. with like those big windows, like the yeah, Today Show. Yeah. 
and right behind the set are the lights of Radio City Music Hall. That's where the set was. Pretty that's cool. where SNY still is. And I remember as I was walking from the doors to the set, and I didn't know that's what the set's situation was because I was in the newsroom, which is enclosed. And I, th- I just remember thinking to myself, how in the fuck did I get from South St. Louis to here? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And I go out there, and I'm thinking to myself, that, I mean, I'm not, I'm, for whatever reason, I'm not nervous. I should be nervous, but I'm not nervous, and I'm thinking I'm not nervous because I'm not going to take the job, so it doesn't really fucking matter. Right. I get done doing the sports cast, the audition sports cast, and I, as I'm taking out my IFB, I'm like, I'm going to get a job offer because I know I just did well. Yeah. And sure enough, within the next day or two, I did get a job offer. It was for way more than I thought it was, which was great. Uh-huh. And so began the process of my final time doing the morning grind and ending it. Now all four will be gone because in my mind, I'm going to go to SNY. Yeah. But right as that's going on, there are rumblings that 1380 is going to start a new station here in St. Louis. And John Helmkamp, who I still talk to and talked to a few months ago when I was deciding what to do with this decision on, on, you know, the, the options that we had at the end of 2021, I think the world of, God, I can't say enough good things about John Helmkamp. And I started talking to him. And he wants to put the band back together, except it was going to be me, Doug, uh, excuse me, me, the cat, and then Doug and producer Joe. And so now I have a choice. Stay in St. Louis and do AM radio with something that we would call the morning after because KFNS and that group owned the term the morning grind. Uh, why they would want to hold on to it, it was probably just to shove it up our asses, yeah. or uh, or go to New York. And I went back and forth and back, and I accepted the job in New York and went up there to look for places, dead serious, not a brag, because I didn't wind up doing it. The best place we found, and it was just me and my wife on my own, uh, on our own, looking, so nobody telling us what to do or where to look, uh, was forty five hundred a month rent for an eight hundred square foot one bathroom one bedroom apartment. It was nice uh-huh. in Midtown, which isn't exactly where you want to live. Not no. that everybody's New York geography savvy, but Midtown's kind of the touristy area. Yep. My friends who lived there and worked at MTV at the time were like, "Oh, you don't want to go above. I think they, you never want to go above Fourteenth Street or Twentieth Street because uh-huh. then it becomes suburbia." Right. Like, you know, people, yeah, I know don't think, yeah, I don't think people. Oh, New York is suburbia, but Upper West Side, Upper East Side, those are families. You don't want to live up there. You want to live down here with us, Tribeca, Soho, Battery City Park, uh, or Battery Park. Say where the fuck it's called down the, the tip of Manhattan. Battery City Park. That's what it is. All right, so that's where we were looking. And so I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm going, oh, my God. I mean, I was going to make nice money, but then you adjusted for New York dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I, just don't, and I don't want to do the job. And I kind of had a bad feeling about the person who was, I was going to answer to, not Kurt Gowdy, but uh, like the news director. Your director. Yeah. And I just was like, and I know I don't want to do it. And I felt like I would be doing the job to say to people in St. Louis who doubted me, fuck you, I went to New York. But that's not the reason to do a job. Mm-hmm. My heart is here yeah. with this show. My heart is with Inside STL. Jim Edmonds had bought into it. And then I knew that if I stayed in St. Louis, I could put the band back together with Doug, not Martin. Martin wasn't an option. Martin didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly talked to the point that Martin, I remember I was on my way out to the World Series of Poker in 2007. One of my buddies like finished in the top 200. And we had a layover in Salt Lake City. And I got a voicemail from Martin at the Salt Lake City Airport. That's where I remember the, seeing that weird Salt Lake. 
uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the weird shit when you land there yeah. and uh and like my flip phone and getting a voice message and martin just exasperated going tim i don't want to come back and do radio i don't want to do it uh-huh. and like kind of just like <laughs> yeah. get it through your fucking head dude i'm out yeah. you know uh and um and i'm like okay you know then okay then doug's the guy yeah and so I had a decision to make, truly, AM radio in St. Louis or television in New York. And I went back and forth and back and forth. Um, and in that time, once I knew I had options, I said to my attorney, not my agent, but my attorney in St. Louis, I said, get me the fuck out of this contract and get me away from these motherfuckers. Because he had known what was going on and we were monitoring the situation closely. And so... In their minds, they're like, oh, yes, we finally got them to quit. Mm-hmm. Little did they know, that first off, that I could go do TV in New York. Yeah. Or I was about to be a part of a radio station was going to put them out of business. Yeah. And so in their minds, they're like, yes, we got them to quit. When in reality. They just written their own death certificate. Absolutely. And they gave me a nice little check because I'm like, you know, he's like, yeah, these guys, you, you can get a check. I go, that just shows how dumb I am. I mean, Mike, and by the way, now looking back on it, the check should have been for real probably four to five times more than what it was. But again, you know, I mean, it's like I said, there's a lot of, that's why I would wish I would have kept a diary and gone, yeah. what in the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, well, but I was so happy to be let out of my contract. I didn't care about the money. I was excited that I could go back on the air after sitting out three months. So I left in June of 2007, and that's why the morning after didn't start until September of 2007, Mm -hmm. because I had to kill three months of a non-compete. But that's what I cared about. And once they let me out of that, then it became a real choice. I can go do what is now known as TMA on 1380 ESPN, uh, or I can go do TV at SNY in New York. And, I mean, I still, to this day, and I think I've shown you it before, yeah. Jackson, the contract that I have on my desktop is a reminder. Yep. Uh, and it's still sitting here as we, what, what is the date of the contract? I haven't opened this thing up in a while, probably since last time. Confidential, June 11th, 2007. There it is. Uh, sent to my agent, put my name on it. And uh, $3,000 in uh, clothing allowance. And the, sa- the salary was more than I thought. I ke- and even now, I thought it was this number. Now I'm looking at it. It was more. Um, but to live in New York, it wasn't enough. Yeah. And uh, that's that I could have lived in Jersey or Hoboken. I don't know, Hoboken is Jersey. or South Connecticut. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, probably probably Brooklyn Heights, I yeah. think, is where a lot of younger people were living at that time. And God only knows Brooklyn now is a totally different thing than it was 15 yeah, years ago. So I decide I know what I want to do. I want to do TMA what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So after accepting the job, and at this time, Billy Donovan, I think, had left Florida to go coach in Oklahoma the NBA. City. Is that what it was? I don't. But uh, then he changed Chicago. his mind and he went back to Florida. Okay. And I go, I'm pulling a Billy. I know Bobby Kremens had done something like that with Georgia Tech. So, is this, so these people leaving for jobs, I feel like maybe, uh, what's his name, Dana Altman maybe did it. Well, he's going to leave Creighton and then didn't. Now I know he's at Oregon. But right, right. I'm like, I call my agent. And keep in mind, he's still pissed at me for turning down the thing in Denver the year before with Carissa Thompson. And I call him and I say, I'm, I got, I'm not going to go. Yeah. And he goes, he's just, he's beside, he's beside, he's not, he's angry, but he's like shocked angry. Is this he, the same agent you same have agent. in Denver? Okay. Same agent. And he goes, oh my God. <laughs> he goes, this is New York. He goes, this is New York. He goes, I don't know if any of my clients would turn this down. He goes, 
you are turning down New York City, the number one market in the country. I don't even know what to say. He goes, you're calling Kurt. You're calling Kurt. I, Tim, you're going New York, he goes, you're never going to leave St. Louis. I, my wife told me you would never leave St. Louis and not to keep you as a client you're never going to leave St. Louis. You're just going to stay in St. Louis and you're going to waste your talent in St. Louis. You're going to do radio in St. Louis and you're going to turn down TV. And he was beside himself. Yeah. He was so pissed. And I do think part of it, because we still te- we'll text every now and again. Uh-huh. Uh, we were talking, remember, I don't know if you remember the segment because it was here because I can picture Doug talking about it when... Doug was saying, uh, I think Kay Adams makes this from oh, yeah, doing that yeah, people yeah, show. Yeah. And I immediately texted him and he t- told me what he was pretty sure the number was. And Doug's yeah. like, no way, it's that little. And I'm like, yeah, man, because there's so many motherfuckers who want to do this shit. No and there's so few jobs. Yeah. So you never really have leverage. Even take your pick of who, I don't even, who's the biggest person in television right now? As far as a, a, a non-former athlete, because I know where you were going to go, non-former athlete. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I'm trying. Like to... it's very rare. Like just anchor, not play by play, because then you would probably go with like what Joe just did with yeah, the, the seventy-five million dollars. Biggest did be like SVP. Yeah, and how many of those guys are out there? Yeah, I mean, and crazy. dead serious also. And I know I've told this before, but if I would have had a full head of hair, I may have been more apt to yeah, go to yeah, SNY. Yeah. Dead serious because SVP wasn't at the university; he had hair going on at the time. Yeah, and that, and he hasn't, and he had to. Grinding the radio a lot right. before he got to where he is now. So I was like, it's just, it's not going to go anywhere. They wanted me to grow my hair out. I was going to get hair transplants. That would have been a whole fucking thing, as I think I talked about on here a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, like what that would have looked like with like the chia pet holes in my head. Uh, and I debut on New York. Podcast. And they would have gone, we can't put you on the air for six months until your hair goes yeah, unless in. Unless it was Halloween. Oh my God. I can't. And I was going to do that. Can you? fucking imagine if I would have done that like <laughs> thinking that the hair is just going to be right there when I get out of the operating room yeah. and then I look like like they had like you know <laughs> yeah. like, what's that guy's name from Hellraiser oh yeah pinhead is that pinhead. what it yeah that's what it would have looked like except like they had removed pinhead. the pins holy shit that's what I was going to do I was about to fly this is June of 2007 after I'd accepted the job so I call Kurt and I tell him and he's disappointed and he goes I want to talk to you and your wife and she was at work at the time and I'm like, okay. And I remember what they had offered me. Well, I thought up until two minutes ago, I thought it was a lower number. It was a little higher. And I remember thinking, now this is again just showing insanity. And so we get on a call, it's a speakerphone, me, Kurt, and my wife. And I said, if you can just get me to, and I basically, oh, I didn't basically, I asked for 33% more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not like 18. Right. I'm 30, yeah. you know? I mean, fuck off. If I'm him, I'm just like, okay, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I think I think he, I don't know what he said. I think he was just, he, he's like, you have to make sacrifices for opportunity. And I remember thinking to myself, but I don't want what you think I want. Yeah. And so that's our disconnect on this. I don't yeah. want to work at ESPN. I don't care if I work in New York. I'm not looking for, deep down, I'm not looking for validation. Mm-hmm. The people who would suddenly be on board with me are not the people who I want to be on board with me. I don't want people sucking my dick because I worked in New York. Yeah. You know, those are the last people I want to be around. Mm -hmm. So again, going back to essentially the beginning of the morning grind, fuck off. I don't care. (laughs) So fuck off. And I'm like, yeah, why would I make a sacrifice? I have everything I kind of want to do. Right. So there was no problem with you asking for 33% more because you're kind of free rolling. Yeah. Now, that, of course, was not the thought process. (laughs) It was a lack of (laughs) self-awareness. You know, I mean, even asking for 10% more would have been aggressive when we'd agreed on a salary. And it's like I got any leverage. And they wound up hiring a guy uh, by the name of Kirk Jimenez 
who had been at ESPN beforehand, mm-hmm. and I believe wound up having some kind of unfortunate situation on Twitter, and not like a hot take tweet, but I think he might have been, I don't know, type him in a search engine and you'll see, because yeah. I don't know, and it's not fair to say it when I sure, don't know, sure, but sure. something happened, I know, but he was there for a while. Oh, this was only a few years ago, so I could have been there for a while, but again, I didn't want to, I just didn't want to do it, mm-hmm. but I will tell you, for years, and even maybe now sometimes, but not often now, but for years, I thought about when we would be dealing with shit with the show, and my God, as you know, we've dealt with some shit with the show, I'd be going, God, what the fuck am I doing? I could have gone to New York and done television, and yeah, it might have been low-paying, again, relatively Relative, speaking, yeah. for the first, you know, couple, I think it was a two-year deal, and I think they had a third option, I of course can look at it, uh, that it, it would have led to, I wouldn't have to put up with these guys who I've wound up working for, you know. <laughs> and you, know, you look at the recent history and how it's all turned out, and I go, God almighty, what the fuck was I doing? But, you know, I, it, it, you, I never judge a decision by the result. You can't. I think right. that's what poker taught me. Right. If you get your money in good and the cards don't fall your way, you can only focus on the information you had when you made the decision. Mm-hmm. And so I remember calling Helmkamp saying, I told New York I'm not coming. And he was thrilled. I got on a plane and I went out to Las Vegas and celebrated because my friends were all out there. I flew with one of my buddies, Bobby Magic, out there. Had the layover in Utah where Martin told me to give up the fucking ship mm-hmm. on the uh, on the, him coming back. And, uh, and hung out in Las Vegas and came back, killed a couple months, and then we started the morning after. And the morning grind was dead. Yeah. Uh, and there it is. There it is. Wow. That's a full story right there. <laughs> it's all from memory. I'm sure I'm leaving some things out. How long have we gone here? You want to take a guess? <sighs> I think we might be at two hours. Oh, yeah. We're at two hours. Is that right? 220. <laughs> Holy shit. I think I'm glad like... we're doing these things, honestly, because I don't know if I'll ever get around to writing it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, again, it's... I mean, there's more to it. Right. But, but it's I good don't to want to, it, yeah. I don't want to, I just I have no interest in, like, even with Barrett and Bob Fesco, you know, and I know Fesco said, well, I'm told, I think Jay told me this, that Fesco stood up after the day I quit and he said the cancer has left the building. And that infuriated me. I bet. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I'm like, wow. So you guys are going to try and paint, yeah. but you know what was being said at KFNS here recently? Yeah, you know their advertising is down. Ask 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 here at Hubbard how the advertising is doing for right. for TMA. Yeah, uh, but it was all bullshit because you got to try to frame it's for the frame, people who yeah. are left behind that right. everything's going to be better. And in reality, they were gone and they sold it for pennies on the dollar from what they bought it for in two thousand four. And good, yeah. fuck them. Yep, you know for real, they they treated people terribly, terribly. So. Good, and then obviously with I'll take your pick of whichever one you want over the years. It, it you know there's a <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern. A couple here. different eras. <laughs> there's a pattern here, but that is what happened. And in a in a it, it's it's a shame, um, but at the same time, and it's and by the end I mean it's a shame that we had to deal with it, and it's a shame that Martin wasn't on the show, but it also led to Doug being on the show. And, you know, his talent has, I'm sure, been a revelation for people who used to watch him on television. Yeah, right, and right. we're just like, this is the guy who does the flashback, and we see him anchor on KMOB. My dad always said, 
He was like, until I heard Doug on the radio, I would have never guessed. He is, he is so talented, uh-huh. and it, you know, and I, and that, as I think I said last week or a couple of weeks ago, um, I am so happy in particular for him and Iggy with everything that has happened here recently that their talent is being appreciated before they decide to shut it down. Yeah, um, because they deserve that. So um, there it is. I don't know. I hope people are entertained uh, or informed. I guess yeah. that's what I really, really help uh, hope. Um, but yeah, that'll happen. I sign an affidavit. Don't give a fuck. It all happened, and um, I'm sure. I mean, there's. I'm sure there's plenty more that I've just either intentionally not included or just forgotten. Like yeah. you know, that producer Joe will listen. Go, how could you possibly forget that? Or how could you? Or Martin would go, oh my God, what about remember this guy? Remember this salesperson or this moment? Or you know, um, there was some. You know, when Joe got fired. We saw the GM at a Blues game months later, too. I mean, like five months later. And, you know, it's like, if I saw one of these characters from the past, I'd say hello and shake their hand sure, and just move sure. on. I wouldn't spend a lot of time. And he walked up to Joe to shake his hand, and Joe just like, kept walking. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to motherfucker. You know, that's producer Joe, though. Yep. And I'm sure some people are like, good for him. If they if he felt wrong, then fuck him. Don't yeah. do the thing. You know, don't do the thing. Where Man of principle, lies. that producer But that's Joe. who he is. That's who he is. Um... Martin, you know, is still killing it, you know, as a sports director and ridiculously talented. And the cat, God, I mean, that was the first of I don't know how many times that he got fucked with. Mm -hmm. And he got fucked with a bunch there. I don't believe was fucked with at 1380. Wasn't fucked with when we were at 590 when Inside STL took it over because he was working, you know, quote unquote for me I don't like to say that but with me whatever he was getting paid by inside STL right and then at 920 obviously right and then we go back to KFNS and one of the questions I see somebody sent for this week's QFTA or next week's QFTA is do you regret going to KFNS in 2016 and that's what that would get into the results oriented thing uh-huh. I know in the process and I know what was on the table and the situation that it was absolutely at the time especially with what was in my contract a no-brainer uh-huh. 100% no it wasn't even I mean it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a choice it was such a good deal it's what wound up transpiring, but in the moment, I thought everything was as as we all did, um, because I was paying so much money to broker time at nine twenty, and uh, you know, I mean, you see how nine twenty has gone since since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know that that just that just had to happen. But uh, yes, and then then some things happened there for the next few years with the cat <laughs> and with Iggy and with Pete. Who else? So Plowhawk, oh uh, Gangster Pete uh, got it one time, Plowhawk three times, The Cat for real four or five times, uh, Iggy one time uh, in one voicemail. Both him and The Cat were taken out my mm-hmm. first day back from paternity in 2017. Uh, Doug and I never got it, but I was, you know, constantly, yeah. you know, and I just didn't tell him most of the times because I didn't want him to know because it would, they would. I didn't want them to have to deal with the stress that I was dealing with right. and then freaking out and then, you know. So, yeah, this is what we've done, and that goes back to 2000, <laughs> the 2001 Cardinals NLDS yep. against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And there you have episode 499 of the Tim McCartney Show podcast, two hours and a half. <laughs> <laughs> 
You have been over there. Have, have you? How long have you had to piss? Oh. Well, I had to piss since the 56-minute mark. Okay, because I noticed about a half hour ago, I'm like, okay, I might just have to say just pause because Jackson's got to piss. Yeah, i I, I got to piss. Yeah. But uh, once you get, like I said, 56 minutes, now that I've gotten here, I can hold it. <laughs> yeah, just kind of, you just go into another world. But, yeah, that's what happened. And, again, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about it because every word of it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I know there are some other things that would be more titillating that sure. went on, but then you get into things that people like, and I'm just not looking to... Yeah, what's the point of getting something where you're disparaging somebody yeah, or something along those lines? I just, yeah, I just I don't, don't give a shit. I mean, it's kind of like you don't need to spike the football. It's, no. It's, but, you know, here it is. So this is what happened. But that is how the show started, and that is how what was called the morning grind came to an end. And I thought 2007 was a living hell. I thought 2006 was a living hell. Uh, I thought the misery of people thinking I got fired and how much that bothered me in 2005, and now if people still think I got fired, great, I don't give a shit, mm-hmm. but that was a living hell in 2005. And and the truth is, all of those things are nothing in comparison to what was to come. Mm. And that is where I shall leave it. Oh, wow, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> teasing has... A, <laughs> those three weeks at teasing camp really did something yeah, to they you. Do, they do really good work at teasing camp. <laughs> uh, so uh, there it is. Thank you to all of our sponsors who have made it possible. Uh, TheHomeLoanExpert.com. James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Jamie Burkhardt. Clayton Patterson. Uh, Peter Munganess at Munganess St. Louis Acura. And, of course, the great Seth Goldcamp of Design Air Heating and Cooling. So I had him Wainwright wearing that camo cap. Yep, in the dugout, uh, the Design cool. Air camo cap, Design Air heating cooling, you run air conditioner issues. Make sure that you go to designairservice.com and click on the Book Now tab and work with the official HVAC provider, the Tim McKernan Show podcast. And if you're looking for a car, stlouisacura.com, altontoyota.com, and work with Munganess. Action Jackson, there it is. It's in the books. What will episode five? I'll do anything, man. Yeah, we're up for anything. Really. I really am. I don't know what. The, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I really don't know. Yeah, I, I I bet we're gonna get a really good suggestion here in the next couple of days. I think someone's. Gonna I feel like I've been talking about everything I that I am willing to talk about. Right, that's the thing. In the, the podcast in 2035 will be the tits. Right. But, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll just do 501 next week, and then 2035 we'll do episode so we get 500. Uh, yeah, to keep the audience wanting more. <laughs> That's what we'll do. All right, for Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been episode 499 of the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.